Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 62, Blind Gods. I'm Scatty and with me, as every episode, is Matt. Hey! How is everybody doing tonight? You're not going to answer me. <laughs> not that I can hear you anyways, but uh, we're doing They'll great. They'll answer later. Yay! It's, uh, it's a delayed uh, response. <laughs> what we are covering this week, of course, continuing our um, Feast Dance reread. A Feast with Dragons is the reading order that we're following. That was put together by Game of Owns. You can find out find that at feastwithdragons.com or you can find it at davosfingers.com. Specifically, the chapters that we are going to be discussing... <laughs> This episode, we've got uh, four from A Dance with Dragons and one from A Feast for Crows. So the first from Dragons is The Wind Blown. The, uh, a lot of name chapter, or uh, like weird mm-hmm. nickname type chapters. Feast for Crows, we've got The Reaver. A Dance with Dragons, don't fear the reaper, reaver. A mm-hmm. uh, Dance with Dragons is The Wayward Bride. Uh, also from A Dance with Dragons, Tyrion 7 and Daenerys 5. More cowbell. So hit it. <laughs> All right, announcements. We got, uh, well, the first one, just a relief to me, personally. <laughs> uh, me too, but yeah, there's definitely more <laughs> more um, writing on it for you. We made it through the show season. Oh with, my uh, goodness. Bar- barely any spoilers, to be honest. It's amazing. Somebody asked me uh, recently, like, how do you, how do, you do that? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It, it's pretty easy. I see any sort of image... You know, any sort of person that I met at the recent Ice and Fire Con that's posting, I like. I'm very careful, and I I don't know. It's it's not been that hard. Like for instance, I see pictures of the Knights King everywhere, mm-hmm. but I just kind of skip him. You know, and so I know he's around, but uh, I don't know. He's you know what the story is, I guess. But uh, yeah, we made it through. I'm happy. Yeah, I think there's only. Oh, a handful of instances where I had to shoot you a quick text and say, don't look at that notification on Twitter. You did. You're so diligent. You're protecting me like I'm in the maiden vault. (laughs) And I don't think any of it was malicious from people. I think for a lot of people, it just is the show and the books uh, and all of it has just become so ingrained into their fandom that they don't even think about it. You know what I mean? Oh, look, it's a compliment. I mean... They're tagging us because they respect our opinion and, mm-hmm. and they want to talk to us and they, you know, right. we're, 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 the, we're part of this community and they don't think about it. And that's fine. It's yeah. not a big deal. I said this recently and I believe it. It's it's all about the journey, not, you know, the destination. So if I get spoiled on an event or whatever, who cares? It's all about what George writes and how we get there in the process. And mm-hmm. so who cares? Oh, we're getting there. We are We're getting, getting there. there. I think We're they said there. the next season may maybe 2019 until that one comes. So, oh really? They're yeah. gonna delay a year? Uh, well, not quite a year. Uh-huh. I think they said about spring of 2019, so 18 months or so. And about um, a year is 12 months, right? But we're almost done with 2017, oh, right? I see. So you mean not two years. Not quite two years. I'm sorry. No, you're right. That was my mistake. I get get what you Uh, mean, though. Yeah, I said a year, but if they were to wait a whole year, it would really be two years. Sure. I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think they just got a lot of CGI-type stuff going into this next one and stuff. Well, it makes sense. You you highlighted a a thread from uh, from, uh, poor Quentin. Yes. uh, Emmett, our our, our friend. Uh, (laughs) I met met Emmett at... At uh, Ice and Fire Con, awesome guy uh, and scholar of the series, um, mm-hmm. and 
that thread was amazing. It was like 53 posts of why A Dance with Dragons is the best book, and it was amazing. You guys should check it out if you can find it on Twitter (laughs) three weeks later. Uh, Speaking of Twitter, how's this for a transition? (laughs) Um, Scad and I had fun doing Scad Facts and Matt Stats this past past week where we had this uh, interesting thing where this thing was going around on Twitter where for however many likes a tweet, you'd, you'd send out a tweet and you'd say, so for however many likes I get on this tweet, I will say a fact about myself. Right? And so people were giving all these facts about themselves as people like their tweets. And I, I, was, I was up late one night and I was just like, you know what would be funny if I tried doing this for <laughs> Scott? So I sent out a tweet and said, uh, so forever, however many people like this tweet, I will share a fact about Scott. And uh, I think that one got 40-something likes. I don't remember. It ended up being 51 or 53 for you. And I, I think I like cut it off at some point. Oh, yeah, I remember getting to 52 or something. Um, but, yeah, so I uh, had, to, had to really scrape the bottom of the barrel there. And then I feel bad because I feel like it kind of forced you into doing it for me, <laughs> whether I meant to do that or not. But because uh, everyone started asking, when are we going to get Matt yeah. Facts? We had, a, we had a few good friends to the podcast. And like, where are Matt Facts? Where, where are they? And I felt bad like, for oh, that. Oh, no. Because you're like, oh, okay, now I guess I'm doing this. But it was fun. Well, it was. It, I don't regret it at all. No. I mean, it, it's funny because you think, like, I'll never be able to do this mm-hmm. about, about your friend. And then, you know, you, you think about it and you can. You know, we know a lot about each other and uh, a lot of things that people don't know. And it was fun, to be honest. I was intimidated at first, and then I was like, this is fun. Yeah. So I'm glad we did it. You knew some things yeah. about me that I didn't think you would. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing you didn't tell me. Yeah. But I'm there were not Googling like, you right now. I was like, uh, oh, I told him about that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did I share some things I shouldn't have? No. My bad. No, totally not. All right, uh, let's see. So finally, um, quick apology. We announced a couple of episodes ago that we would be doing a special episode for our patrons, um, specifically on parenting in Westeros and analyzing some of the different parents in the world of Ice and Fire and uh, some of their different takes and, and how their kids turn out because of them and things like that. And we regret to inform you that we still haven't recorded that episode yet. We've allowed ourselves to get busy with the summertime and everything going on with that. But uh, we did just want to let you know that that is scheduled and will be recorded soon. We understand that, especially for our uh, patrons who are putting up hard-earned cash, expecting extra content from us, that we, you know, we miss the mark and uh, we apologize for the weight it's caused and everything, but we're going to get that recorded and out to you soon. Yes, I'm very excited. I, I have uh, a reasonable amount of work already done on that, and uh, uh, specifically around the Tyrells, to, just to tease everyone a little bit. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to record that. Those Tyrell boys, I tell you. I don't know how they're, they turned out so great, but... They're a sexy bunch. Yeah. 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 I love me some ta- Tyrell boys. Uh, okay. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. 
Well, uh, let's uh, let's keep going then. So we are uh, spoiler free till the end of the podcast. We always make this announcement. We are trying to cater to people that are reading for the first time as well as those reading for the hundredth time. So we try to keep it spoiler free for the until the uh, end segment called Davos After Dark. And don't worry, we'll warn you when that's coming, but then we'll get all spoilery. So if you are reading along for the first time and you do not want to be spoiled, just jump off at that time. And we love chatting with you guys. We really do. It's a ton of fun for us. So if you want to suggest topics for us, if you want to ask questions, if you want to give us feedback, whether good or bad, you can find us all over the place. DavosFingers.com. We get a lot of emails at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter is where we seem to hang out a lot. Um, Sorry, I kind of bumped the table, so I'm going to repeat that. Uh, Twitter is where we hang out a lot. That's our handle is at Davos Fingers. You can find us on Facebook. We get a lot of messages there. You can learn more about our Patreon program as well at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. So without any further ado, shall we begin this episode? We shall. We shall, we shall, we shall. And that begins with me doing the windblown. If life's an adventure where the light surely stains Of dreams that are tempered and not wine or water drink But still I'll run away to you I wonder what you'll think Could plain old Quentin fire and blood So, guys, we've had one Quentin chapter and remember, he and his friends were trying desperately to get to Danny in Marine, but they couldn't find anyone to take them, right? No one was going to go there. So remember how at the end of our last chapter, Quentin's friend Jarris said he had a plan and he did a little winky thing. Well, here's the plan that he had. They went through with it and oh boy, it's a doozy. So his plan was to join up with the Windblown. They're a sellsword company. We remember them from the last chapter. They were trying to recruit uh, sellswords to join the company. Well, Yeah, they were dicks. Yeah, they weren't too cool about it. Look but that. Quentin and his friend uh, friends took him up on the offer because the Windblown are heading in Danny's direction. They have been hired, as a number of other sellsword companies have, to go to Yunkai and to potentially fight Daenerys and her forces. So the idea is that Quentin and his troops, will, or Quentin and his friends, excuse me, will travel as members of the Windblown towards Slaver's Bay and then desert the company and go over to Danny's side once they're close enough to do so. <laughs> Thanks for the ride over, guys, which is bold. I've never tried to ditch a sellsword company before, but it does not sound easy. So Quentin, also known as Frog in this chapter, it's the name he, nickname he's taken on uh, when joining the company, is acting as his other friend, Arch Ironwood's squire. Okay, this is different because Quentin's like a prince, but now he's acting as his friend Squire. This is just to give him an excuse to always stay close to Archie. Archie's a big, huge guy, very strong, a good fighter, and therefore he can be safer if he's closer to Archie. Remember, it's all on Quentin to woo Daenerys and get her mind out of the Dario gutter. The Windblown along with a couple handfuls of other sellsword companies, were actually recru recruited clear over in Volantis and are now, like I said, on their way to Yunkai, where it's suspected that Danny may attack. 
On the trip over, Quentin hears all sorts of strange tales about the Dragon Queen. Apparently she's a fiend for both sex, although not necessarily with men, and blood, even that of babies. Um, also, she's certifiably insane, and human sacrifice is definitely a thing for her. Hmm. Quentin wonders if he will still be obligated to marry her if she is as bad as they say. Uh, his time with the Windblown has been anything but a free ride, which I think they might have expected. But you see, on their way to Yunkai, the Windblown were part of an assault on Astapor. Astapor being the same place where Danny had once purchased her unsullied and then killed most of the good masters of the city. The peace she had established lasted but a short time as constant usurpings within the city had left it virtually in ruins and easy pickings for the windblown and their battlefield associates. In short, it was not even really a battle at Astapor, but a slaughter that Quentin and his friends participated in, and the horrors they saw within the city once they overtook it were even worse. Adventure? Huh! A Jedi craves not these things, and neither do Dornish princes. Even with all this distraction, Quentin needs to keep his eye on the prize. The next part of their plan requires them to, as I mentioned already, eventually abandon the Windblown and get to Marine and Daenerys before they end up fighting against her. Quentin is feeling with this a bit of human heart in conflict with itself, as he's uncomfortable with turning his back on the oaths they made to the Windblown. And he's even uncomfortable uh, doing the same personally to some of the acquaintances they'd made amongst the company. I mean, sure, the whole reason they joined in the first place was to get to Danny, but that doesn't mean he has to feel good about turning his back on these guys. Not to mention that surely the windblown will send folks after them once they realize they're gone. Uh, but you know what? It turns out Quentin doesn't have that much to worry about, as the commander of the windblown, the tattered prince... Uh, one night calls 20 men of the company who all happen to be Westerosi born, including Quentin and his friends to his tent. Now I said men, men and woman. Uh, we've got pretty Maris in there that I just realized. Anyways, the tattered prince tells this gathered group of Westerosi born windblown that he's been ordered by the Yunkish high commander to dispatch the windblown into the countryside to kill or drive off the various groups of diseased and starving Astapori refugees. When the city came under attack, they like bolted out of the city and they're all over the place and they got diseases and stuff. They need to just kill them or drive them towards Marine and get them out of their uh, vicinity. With that command, the tattered prince sees an opportunity. He commands his the small band of Westerosi windblown to use this mission as a ruse to go and find Daenerys's mercenary companies and then go over to their side to turn cloak. Why? Well, to keep all roads open, the tattered prince says. If it looks like Danny will win... The windblown, with these guys turning cloaks, will already have one foot in her door. The mercenaries are understandably a bit skeptical, but the tattered prince assures them Daenerys will buy it, especially with all of them being from Westeros. And they are commanded to leave at once. And that's where the chapter ends. So, uh, nice little opportunity for, for Quentin. That worked out rather nicely for once, right? Man, 
isn't it wonderful when a plan comes together? Yeah. Uh, they were very worried about how they were going to get away and stuff like that, and Tattered Prince came through for them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very real it's a very real problem they're dealing with. Um, you sign a contract with these with these cell sold companies. Uh, you're in this case they were uh, committed for a year, mm-hmm. and uh, they were planning on ditching. And we hear little little bits and pieces during that chapter about what they do to people that that uh, leave. Um, at at least they cut their feet off so that they can't run again. Um, I don't know how valuable that makes them as a member of the company, but that's what I was thinking too. Like, how do they service? <laughs> they do paperwork, Matt. It's a company of two thousand people. They need paperwork, and clerical work. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a dangerous proposition, and and here they've been given a way out, basically. <laughs> lucky. Yeah. Uh, way lucky. Um, further dismantling of the hero adventure trope by George Wright in describing the atrocities and horror of Astapor, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, the hero trope. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to go too deep into it. I don't I don't know that I know it well enough to do that, but it's it's a it's a picture of, you know, the strapping young lad striding victorious on the warhorse. You don't see all the suffering and the fire and the pain and anguish of the people. And uh you know, it's a deconstruction of that, and and perhaps a comment about the type of people that we worship in that hero trope that can ignore such atrocity in the face of of the victory they've earned. Uh, whereas perhaps the best people are like Quentin and are scarred by this. Yeah. Yeah, they talk about how um, the Astapori had marched out a group of what they called unsullied, oh, uh, which were essentially just a bunch of boys who they had, you know, they'd castrated them like they would Unsullied and maybe given them a little bit of training, but cutting off a wiener doesn't an Unsullied make. And uh, they were just slaughtered by Quentin and his troops. And, and, you know, Quentin couldn't hang back. He needed to look like a part of the company, and he had to participate in that. And his sword got plenty red. And, uh, you know, they go into the city and they talk about the little kids fighting over puppies to eat yep. you know and yeah. uh just horror horrific the the whole oh, the all of the cities in essos i think we talked about this last time with maybe the exception of bravos just sound terrible especially yeah. the slavers bay it's just ugh, astapor yunkai they're just these terrible terrible places but well, I, I don't know. The Westeros is much better. It's it's all feudal. It's true. Uh, you know, there's no there's no slavery, so mm-hmm. that makes it a step up, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, the people in Flea Bottom are barely eating a bowl of brown a day. Uh, yeah. You know, but uh, you know, and, and murdered in the river the lines same and diseases, stuff yeah. diseases. Yeah. But but this is worse for sure. I mean, slavery is worse, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, with 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 Quentin. Uh, you know the line that that struck home is, but he killed them all the same. Yeah. I mean these are these are basically it, it's funny the way they tell the story here the, the way it's masterful from George really. Uh, you know he's slaying them as they flee at first, but they're on horseback, so they get to the wall of Astapor before the, before these untrained un, untrained unsullied the untrained sullied. 
uh, <laughs> get to the gate. And so they have time to wheel around and turn and slay them on the way back through. Yep. And this time, because they're running toward him, toward the gate, he gets to see their eyes and who they are and their boys screaming for their mom and dad. And, yeah, I mean, but he killed them all the same. What what can what can you do? You're at war, mm-hmm. and that's what's. Re- you, it's also you just act too, yeah. like the training that you've had. You just act. You just respond, right? And that's probably why they go through so much training is when they get put in a, is for when they get put in situations like this. You can fall back on that it. training. Yeah, desensitize yeah. yourself a little bit and get the job done that you're commanded to do. As horrific as it is, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about, you know, we talk about this, the plight of the small folk in Westeros and how these, mm-hmm. you know, these small folk have to join up with their liege lords whenever there's a battle, the Game of Thrones, and broken go and fight. Yeah. yeah, the broken man speech, exactly. And here we have it here too, except these men are slaves. Isn't that terrible? People are enslaved and then forced to go fight someone else's battles. It's just terrible, yeah. and you read about these guys that, what's the, the the clinkers or something? I think they call them the clankers. Yeah, the clankers. They're a group, a slave, a slave army that they chain all of the soldiers together so that they can't ditch and run away. And it's just like, man, how terrible can you be? But because they had previously, when Danny yeah. defeated them at Yunkai, they uh-huh. did run away, and they're like, no, 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 no. How about chains? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to chain y'all up. Yeah. And you're going to just die together. Yeah, it's terrible. And it's also noted in the chapter that it makes them march terribly slowly. Yeah. uh, When they need to move from town to town. Seems like they could strike the bonds from them while they were marching and put them back on. Okay, now the danger is coming, so we're going to chain you together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Terrible. Let's see. How about Q himself? interesting guy seems mm-hmm. kind of he's kind of uh well you feel like he wants to be detached from this whole thing he's he's not that interested he's intimidated by the stories of Daenerys herself um I, I don't know I, impressions of Q himself I get the impression of a guy who just doesn't have doesn't think very highly of himself which is yeah. awfully yeah. Uh, refreshing in kind of a way, considering what we know of other noble-born children, yeah. uh, Joffrey Baratheons and the like. Mm. This kid is, he he doesn't think too highly of himself. Yeah. And that's, well, I mean, it's sad. Well, while I'm sure he was treated well, he was sent away early from his mm-hmm. home. Yeah. Um, you know, and so he didn't get maybe as much of the shot in the arm of, hey, you're amazing. Uh, every day that some noble kids get. Sure. Uh, again, I'm sure he was treated well. He was given the best training and, and everything. But uh, yeah, you, you get a sense of uh, kind of underlying nobility and normalcy, mm-hmm. if, if that's a thing, right? He's no, noble while also just being kind of a rational a human. Yeah, yeah. And a young but, human, but you also, too. An adolescent. Young, he is, yes. Mm-hmm. For sure, young. I think 22 or 19. I yeah, can't remember now. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, but uh, I think Ariane was 23, maybe he's 19. I can't remember. Um, but but I also get the sense, I, I thought of <laughs> I thought of uh, Monty Python again, which I do all too much. But I don't want all of that. Uh-huh. I want to sing. Like, I, I just don't think he wants to be there at all. I mean, he's doing this out of no, a sense of duty. But he doesn't. He has 
no I don't I don't think he has any sort of passion or desire to follow through with this at all in any sense. I, I think other than just to be dutiful. Yeah, it's it's to go as far as he desperately wants to please his dad, like you just said, yeah. dutiful. I think he really does want to come through for his father. But that's uh, a failure, right? On on Doran's part. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. It it's absolutely sad. is. Uh and because Doran and and part of this may just come from not knowing his son incredibly well, which he doesn't. I don't know. Uh, well, it, it, maybe. but it's he he basically just said you need to go and make this happen. Yeah. And and we see this a lot where Quentin's like and we saw it in this chapter, what if Danny is a monster? What if she is terrible? Yeah. Do I still go through with this? Like revenge. Dad, what do I yeah. do? Like, yeah. you know, obviously we know she's not killing babies and having sex with horses and stuff like that. But well, what if she is a monster? What if she is not in their best interest to start an alliance with her? Nope, it's not even an option. An option. You just do this, son. Yeah. And, uh, anyways, speaking of Monty Python. Did you notice the uh, direct yes, quote? I noticed. Fought in their general direction. <laughs> Fought yeah, in their general direction. <laughs> you silly English knigets. Do you know what yeah. a knigget is? I don't even know what that is. A knigget? I do know what it is. It's mm. a knight. Oh, I see. You, wait a minute. Oh, I see. Wait a minute. You didn't get this after all these years? I have saying been the watching word that movie since I was probably 11 years oh my old. God, man. And I never once picked up Knigget meaning night. My sweet summer child. I'm ashamed. I'm glad that I'm here to educate you. I'm ashamed. I'm terribly, <laughs> terribly ashamed. Look, I'd like, I'd like to make you feel better, but there's no other feeling you should feel right now. <laughs> I'm going to... Take my beating. <laughs> um, hey, I thought we got, we talk about distances a lot, and I feel like we got a nice measuring stick for, like, the whole series here. Oh, really? Um, yeah, they said, <clears throat> uh, when they were talking about traveling to Marine and Young Kai, they mm -hmm. said it's about 100 leagues, which is about 350 miles from yeah. Astaport to Young Kai. And, um... Another 50 from Young Kai to Marine. And then they said that a well-mounted troops, like, for example, Quinton and his men that were a horse, could okay. travel those 350 miles in six days of hard riding or eight days at a more leisurely pace. It comes out to about – the six days comes out to about 58 miles a day. The eight days, 44 miles a day. So – Hmm. Uh, this is this is interesting. Now we can apply it to just about anywhere, probably. Obviously, it changes depending on landscape and stuff like that. Yeah. But more or less, you can get an approximation. So looking it up, and I read somewhere 1,500 miles from King's Landing to Winterfell. Because mm -hmm. that's a big one that we talk about. Yeah. Uh, if I did my math right, that's 25, 26 days hard riding. Yeah, hard if, riding. If we use their nice measuring sticks. So a month. 25 a month. or 26 days. But that's hard riding. You'd need to switch horses out. 34 days to... if you're going at their leisurely pace that they mention here. 
of 44 yeah. miles a day. If you got a Baratheon and his big old fat wagon thingy. That's, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You're yeah. talking about two months at least. Right. right? Yeah. Probably. I mean, I don't know. Probably. It's interesting. We've we've mentioned before on the on the podcast that spreadsheet that kind of measures all this out. I wonder if they. I don't remember whether they use this chapter as evidence for that. Yeah, maybe not. I, and maybe it's mentioned in other places, and I passed it over. But that just hit me this time, and especially, I, I won't reveal anything. But a lot of the big critiques against the show Game of Thrones is how quickly they managed to travel from place to place. Uh, in the hour-long episodes that they have. Oh. And so, I don't... Do, does, so does this help you, or, or does it just damn the show oh, even more? It, it's incredibly damning to the show. Yeah. But, <laughs> but um, if I remember correctly, the, some of the directors of the show have essentially come out and said, we don't, we don't care. care. We have an hour <laughs> yeah. to produce this show, and we got to get you to know places. What? Good for them. It's popcorn. I don't want to offend anyone that loves the show, but right. popcorn. Yeah. Like, enjoy it. Enjoy yeah. it, everybody. Just put it off and, yeah, enjoy yeah. it for what it is. <clears throat> but uh, so maybe that's why it's been more on my mind lately, but that just hit me. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, you because usually I'm the stickler for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's too long. They can't possibly make it in time. <laughs> well, like, I turn into Craig from Parks and Rec. <laughs> it's too long. There's no way. I care too much. And I'm going to kill myself. Is there, and I'm just guessing here, some kind of medication that you maybe need a lot of and have taken none of, or maybe too much of today? Oh, I have, I have a medical condition, all right. It's called caring too much, and it's incurable. <laughs> yeah. Isn't he the best? <laughs> I love him. Except oh, he calms gosh. down, like in the final season. He calms down significantly. Look, and... if we can take just a quick detour into Parks and Rec. The last season was... I don't want to say disappointing, but it was it was just so clearly preparation for the end that it took kind of the fun out of it. it almost like they would they wrote the end and then they worked their way up to it. Yeah. Kind of. A little bit. I thought I, that, look, it was still good. I I thought the final episode was fairly satisfying. They wrapped up everyone's arcs and They did. It was, it was a very interesting way to tell the story. I didn't hate it. Yeah, it was good. It was more the stuff leading up to it. The karate the Andy Karate, Johnny Karate show uh-huh. episode, and you know, just kind of like these little weird things. Yeah, it was okay. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> what is Craig's husband's name? Uh, oh, Typhoon. Uh, typhoon. Typhoon. Yeah, yeah. Typhoon. <laughs> I love how Ron starts going into him for his haircuts and ends up loving him. <laughs> yes, because yeah. they bash. Tell on me European more about things. how much Europe is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Parks and Rec, everyone. Matt gives it 92 thumbs up. I give it, like, two or three. There you go. Oh, yeah. I could watch, and I will just continue to watch Parks and Rec on an endless loop. And by watch, you mean listen to it while you do other things. Listen to it while I do other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Any other things on this? No, just the army is spectacularly awful. Yeah. Uh, the, the Yunkish army. It sounds... Uh, just crazy and visually stimulating and also really inefficient. Uh, just that. Yeah, they've got this. To say other than that. So they've got a high commander from Yunkai, and they've got some slave soldiers, soldiers from Yunkai, but then the rest of the army is filled out by these dozen or so sellsword companies and uh, of varying sizes and degrees of proficiency, I guess. 
Um, it sounds like George just had a fantastic time just letting his imagination run yeah. wild with these yeah. people. Like there's a group of what are the herons? The herons, yeah. That fight on stilts and wear pink armor. And beaks. I mean, yeah, yeah. like beaks on their helmets or whatever. Yeah. On uh, their noses, I think. Oh, was it? <laughs> I think so. Let's go double check now. It's fantastic. Um, couple of quick hits. There's a guy named Kago in the, uh, in the, Corpse uh, killer. in yeah. the windblown. Um, he's kind of one of the tattered prince's high lieutenants and he has a Valyrian steel Arak. Arak. Yeah, Arak. That's yeah. bad, eh? Yeah. I wonder if he's Dothraki. Kago sounds like a Dothraki name. It does. Um, it does. And they note that I think Quentin notes there's only a handful of them in the world. Valyrian steel arcs. Yeah. That's just way cool. Yeah. Um, Lewis Lanster. There's a guy in there. Yeah. Lewis Lanster with golden blonde hair. Yeah. It, it, I, I had a note about it. Probably uh, cousin. Quentin, Quentin says at one point, I'd sooner pose as poor than evil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the Golden Company and in these sellsword companies, it seems like half of them are just lying about their names, right? So that they can sound like a disgraced member of a noble house. <laughs> and here he is, a real prince walking around, you know. And uh, yeah, this this Lewis Lanster, he's either pretending uh, to be, you know, some sort of distant member or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's like, look, dude, you're over here. You're not. In King, you're not you're not at uh, at uh, Cashley Rock. Really doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, as much. Right. Anyways, uh, yeah. All right, uh, we beat Windblown to death. It's a good chapter. Yeah, I just have only one thing that really bothered me. Okay. We talked about the girl, the girl general. Yes, and they note how young she, she she thinks of herself as the Daenerys of the Yunkish army. Yeah, um, but it mentions she's only sixteen. But it also mentions that she bred and trained her own slaves. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to figure out how old these slaves are. <laughs> because if she was incredibly industrious at, like, ten, yeah. then her slaves six are now years six. Old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's just a mistake of the writing or whether I'm misunderstanding something. Maybe he didn't, yeah. But, but every time I read that, I'm like, what is he getting at here? Or if she's the daughter of, maybe her father, like, bred them before her, her father or mother. She kind maybe, of took I mean, over the family business, but that's a that's maybe. a good catch. It's a fair question. It specifically says she did it, but that's true. Know, yeah, yep. maybe, maybe it's a family business, mm-hmm. but but I'll you know, I'm going to say I'll let it slide, but my brain isn't letting it slide. Shalasar, she, she's it's got a, in my brain, and I'm angry. She's got a bunch of six year old soldiers out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they might not be the worst ones if we look at the clankers. Yeah, it sounds like uh, we got an interesting crew there. Yeah. Uh, All right, should we move on? Many people list this as oh. one of their favorite chapters. Oh, really? I've where'd yeah, you get that from? It's listed as a highly uh, um, what is it called? Tower of the Hand does oh, a, like their ranking, a ranking system, of yeah. best chapters and stuff, and the wind blows mm-hmm. up there. So uh, I don't see it. It's okay. It's it's a it's a fascinating look into like we said the whole idea of adventure and and who Quentin is and stuff like that. It's um, also a look at the sellsword life, which you don't get a lot of. True, other than yeah, from Jamie's POVs, yeah, Brienne's, yeah. yeah, looking at from the on the ground soldiers. You know, a lot of it is 
a lot of these stories revolve around the generals who are making plans yeah. and stuff like that. And these are yeah. guys that are down amongst the sellswords. So, yeah, seeing that sellsword life is fascinating. But not a ton of uh, action in this one, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should we move on? Here's where we get some action. Yeah, I was just going to say, you want action, let let Father Scad tell it. Let's do it, buddy. All right, the Reaver. I don't know that the old way is a good way, but it's the one way to say that the Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Vitarium singing, the Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Vitarium singing. In a microcosm of the greater battle, the Iron Victory overtakes and overpowers a smaller ship from the Shield Islands. Victorian Greyjoy, clad in full plate and his intimidating Kraken helm, is a man among boys, nay, a god amongst men. He tosses foe after foe to the side like so many ragdolls. Most of the men prove no bother to Vic as the blows bounce off his heavy plate, leaving no damage at all. You see, the Ironborn do not fear the sea. They battle in full armor, as best as they can manage. But these men they face are no ironborn. The men of the Shield Islands are meant to protect the Mandarin and the Reach from terror at sea. They are a seafaring people, yet they are not ironborn. They know that a heavily armored man going overboard is a man that will drown. So instead, they become victims of the blunt force trauma dealt by Victorian Greyjoy and the ironborn army. All of them eschew armor for fear of drowning, save one Sir Talbert, Sir Talbert Seri, the son of the Lord of Southshield, and the captain of the vessel. He faces Victorian Greyjoy and accounts himself well, dodging and weaving, cutting. Victorian is impressed. He even slices his sword into Vic's hand toward the end of the fight. It's a turning point in the battle, though, because now Vic's bloody hand has Ceres' sword in its grip, and he rips it away from him and tosses it overboard. My sword! Ceres exclaims. Go and get it! And with that, he throws Sari over the railing to go fetch his sword in the water, the boy's armor likely drowning him in short work. A handful of ships escape up the Mander, but all around, the day belongs to the Iron Fleet. Capturing ships and hostages, it's a great victory, but for whom? Victorian suspects that Euron will get all the credit for his plan to sail out of sight of land to avoid detection and gain the element of surprise, while a few ships led the main contingent of the Shield Island forces on a wild goose chase up the Mander. The rest they sailed in. The rest, the rest of them sailed in to finish off the remaining forces and take the castles on the Shield Islands. Euron had bribed and flattered most of the captains. They were in his pocket now, and it makes Vic sick. He has stolen his wife, his throne, and now his victory, and it's just too much. Victorian returns to his cabin after the battle to get his arm treated and his penis uh, treated by the dusky woman a slave given to him by Euron for his leal service. Like any good alcoholic should, Vic then drinks alone in the darkness, ruining his fate with his brother's success. Both he and his brother Aaron wanted to bring Euron low after the king's moot, but how? Aaron was trying to raise a rebellion back home, but all Vic could muster was, an in was individual treachery of some sort, wondering whether he should murder Euron himself or have someone else do it. Would the drowned god forgive him, forgive him either way? Anyway, they head back to Oakenshield, having netted 32 ships from the battle. 
as he lands on Oakenshield, he sees slaves being marched. This isn't done in the Ironborn culture. Remember, they use thralls, not slaves, uh, or salt wives. But what's he going to do? Euron is king after all. He gets to make the choices. He also encounters Roderick Hardlaw, the reader, Hash's favorite uncle. Uh, he's none too impressed with the victory. All they've done, according to him, is gain the enmity of the Tyrells and gain a few skipping rocks, which is what he calls the Shield Islands. The reader believes that Highgarden will answer in force, something Victorian personally would welcome. Love another fight. Back in the hall of Oakenshield, the men feast the victory, eating, drinking, and ogling the lord's wife and daughters who have been forced to serve naked, an idea of Euron's new consort, the lord's bastard daughter. Their lord himself tied to his chair to watch an onion jammed in his mouth so he can't speak. Something doesn't sit right with Vic about this. While he had no problem unleashing hell upon the young lord Sari, he's not exactly okay with Euron unleashing shame on a valiant foe. It irks him. It eats at him. It's not Ironborn. But what's he going to do? Euron is king, after all. He makes the rules. Vic's slow, molasses-y thinking is interrupted by Euron's announcement. The Shield Islands are just an appetizer before the main course. But still, they need lords. Now, Vic has assumed that he would give these lands, these, these lordships, to his own underlings. But Euron is cagey, giving the lordships to rivals and supporters of others, both gaining allies and removing chess pieces that might oppose him from the board. Still, he recognizes that it must be a trap of some sort. All of Euron's gifts are poisoned, he reminds himself. He urges Newt the Barber, his own supporter, to refuse. But Newt doesn't budge. It's lands and lordship, man! I'm not going to turn this down! Still... While Yoron seems to be playing his tune perfectly, it isn't all flowers and waffles for the Ironborn. While he promises that they will now take their plunder and slaves east and return with dragons, the Ironborn girl uneasy. Roderick speaks up, noting that the hazards of such a trip that at best 30% of their ships would even make it across the Narrow Sea, let alone through Valyria and the Smoking Sea beyond. Not the least dangerous, autumn storms, a single one of which could scatter the entire fleet. I am the storm. Euron replies. But for once his vague, confident ramblings don't sway the Ironborn. They want answers this time. They would rather stay here and plunder the Mander, take the Arbor. Slaver's Bay is too far away, and the dragons may not even exist, man. Plus, the Ironborn had never been slavers. This is all new territory for them. Instead of answering, though, Euron flees the hall with his woman. However, a drunken Victorian is summoned shortly after to Euron's chambers. And in this scene, we see the sharp contrast between these two brothers. One who dreams of flying and wonders if he could if he were only to leap from a tall tower. And another who is too grounded to even engage in such a discussion. Victorian, in fact, urges Euron, Go ahead, brother, and leap. It's a metaphor, of course. The Ironborn will never have more than the islands they have unless they dare to leap for more. And Vic is just the man to take the plunge. The reader was not wrong about sending the whole fleet. It would be a disaster, but the Iron Fleet, Victarian's fleet, a skilled group of sailors, they could do it. Euron then offers Vic a glass of shade of the evening, recounting how he took it from a ship he plundered along with, along with a bunch of warlocks that told a strange tale. Interesting. I wonder what that tale was. Well, we won't get to hear it, because he cuts it short and formally makes his request. Victarian, will you go to Slaver's Bay and bring me my queen? Why should I? Because your king commands, 
And for the sea stone chair, you can have it when Danny and I conquer Westeros and he sits the Iron Throne. Or do I ask too much of you? It is a fearsome thing to sail beyond Valyria. <laughs> a fish cannot ignore bait this well presented. Victarion agrees, but secretly plots to keep the Dragon Queen for himself when he gets there. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, that'll work. Man, I'm sorry, that was really long. It's a long chapter, though. It's not what she said, but... <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it was a long chapter. Fascinating chapter, though. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. Very, very interesting. Uh, I'd like to start this quickly with a Sakansus Mappas. I know Brianna's very excited. She can use her new maps. <laughs> uh, for the Shield Islands. The Shield Islands are kind of cool. It's, it's kind of a cool idea. You know, the, the Ironborn and other pirates have been basically raiding the the rich, uh, producing reach forever. Mm-hmm. And so they have taken control of the Shield Islands, which lay just outside of the Mander, on the far western side of your map, mm-hmm. right at the entrance of the Mander. And they kind of serve, just as they're called, like shields, uh, to protect the Mander from, from pirates. Pretty cool idea. I really like it. So, Sakansus mop us for that. Yeah, it's a dandy idea. Yeah. Because Amander, of course, is uh, kind of a life bringer to the Reach. Um, it's a river it that comes straight from the sea and goes right through the Reach. But with that can come danger, and that is uh, ironborn ships that can just sail right into it. Yep. Right into the heart of the Reach there. So, yeah, uh, definitely needs protecting. And Talbert Sari is the one to do it. <laughs> uh, sounds like a seems like a re- uh, a reasonably good dude, uh, valiant. Yeah, but uh, not like Ironborn. Champ. Yeah, not yeah. quite. Yeah, we know when when you're fighting someone who's willing to grab onto his sword with his bare hands. Yeah, uh, that's. Uh, there's yeah, some crazy was, there that you can't easily <laughs> overcome. It was it was hard to weave into the summary the seriousness of that wound. But, uh, you know, I mean, he basically grabbed a down-swinging sword with his hand. And, you know, he was armored. He had but, armor. It wasn't bare, yeah. But, but well, if it was bare, it would just cut his hand off, right? But, sure. But this is a wound that, and I did, again, I didn't do a very good job of weaving it into the summary, which was too yeah, long already, fine. but... It's troubling him. Uh-huh. It's bleeding through and onto everything. And he's doing his best to ignore it because he's, you know, hardcore. Because he's but Victorian, great Because I'm Victorian. Uh, but it's it's troublesome. I mean, it's it's bothering him. Yeah. He's so funny. He's just a funny guy. Like, he's just the, the type of dude that'll just reach out and grab a sword because he should. And then, like, he throws Talbert Sari into the sea. He does it yeah. himself. The guy's wearing yes. armor. And it's, then after yes. the battle, he's like, uh, did anyone see if he made it? Oh, Is he still alive? Did he drown? Did, did he drown? Really? Oh. He would be a really good hostage. Like, yeah. we should yeah. probably, like, use him. Well, yeah. you threw him into the water in full armor. Yeah. So he's dead. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a very in-the-moment kind of thinker. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I, I and 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 not very complex. You get you get this uh, conversation between he and Aaron 
about raising raising the people against Euron to displace him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Aaron gives this whole bit, which the religious fallacy of this argument just bothers me like crazy. Mm. But like, oh, that wasn't the real that wasn't the real God talking. We were yeah. distracted by other things and he didn't mean it. Uh-huh. But if I had liked the result, it sure would have would have meant it. Then it would be okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it bothers me like crazy, but 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 Victorian doesn't even it's almost like he just dismisses that whole line of thinking. He's just like, "Nope. It happened. It is what it is. I'm not going to help you do the raising the 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 army thing on the islands. I've got to take some other simpler path," which in his mind is murder, basically. I, He's got murderous thoughts on Euron the whole chapter, basically. Yeah, that's that's his way of getting things done. Yeah, I, I feel like Victorian Greyjoy, and we don't we have a very small sample size, so I probably am not super qualified to say this, but I get the impression that he's he's not the most bad a warrior that's out there. What he's oh, no? got is is first of all he's got armor and lots of it. And yep. they call that out. And he takes they all a have few that, blows from people. It sounds like they've got, like, the impression I got from the other Ironborn is they've got, like, pieces of armor on and stuff. He comes out, like, fully decked out in armor sure. against He's guys. better equipped. Yeah. Sailors that don't wear armor at all. And well, my comparison was more like with Jamie Lannister or, like, the other elite soldiers. Uh-huh. I-, I consider him to be the Jamie Lannister of the Ironborn. Maybe he is Iron as Man. good a fighter as these other elite fighters of their cultures. He's well armored and well taken care of, but he's a badass. In do- That's the way I view it. In doing what he does in the arena that he does, right? Yes. Like yep. jumping onto ships and taking yep. guys out that way. I'd be interested to see what he would do, you know, on the ground fighting someone like Jamie Lannister. Um, again, I've yep. got a very small Me sample too. size of Victorian's fighting prowess, but. He takes quite a few blows. Um, thankfully, he was wearing that armor. He talks about how he took one to the shoulder that was pretty good and stuff like that. And obviously, he's taken on five, six guys at a time, so you're going to take some shots. Um, but but what 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 is what just gets Victorian is one I think is his armor that he's just armored better than his opponents, and two yeah. is just his reckless abandon. That he's I, too <clears throat> dumb to be afraid. He's too dumb, and he's driven. Uh, you might, and others might equate this to dumbness as well. He's completely driven by faith in the old way and the drowned God that he will be protected if he's doing the work of the drowned God. And this is how he knows how to do that work. And it makes him very effective in doing what he does. Yeah. You're right, though. He is a very simple guy to understand. I decided I wanted to really use this chapter to try to understand Victorian a little bit, and he he fed us some stuff on a platter. Um, this was why he, Victorian, had been put on earth to stand steel-clad with an axe red and dripping in his hand, dealing death with every blow. That's his own thoughts. Um, there are people like that. Yeah. And that, ser- that serves a role. Mm-hmm. But But I don't the the place where that falls down is when he feels like he should be ruling instead of his brother. If you really feel like that's your role on this earth, you shouldn't be leading men. Right. Not 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 countries of men. You can lead groups of men for sure in in, in you know military, but you shouldn't be making decisions for a country mm-hmm. if you really believe that's your purpose on earth. Especially when it comes to another statement that was made 
obedience came naturally to Victorion Greyjoy. Yes, He'd been born absolutely. to it. But I kind of get the feeling that his lust for leadership wasn't exactly a lust. It, it feels like, you know, when Balon was king, Victorion was cool with it, right? Yeah. You're the king. Yeah. But Euron... Well, he has a personal grudge against Euron. Yeah, he, he does <laughs> not like Legitimately. Him. And yeah. yeah, exactly. That's part of it. That's one, is the personal grudge. And two, is Euron is completely anti-old way. And so to Victorion... That is blasphemous, and you are not fit to be a king of the Ironborn. Yeah. Because you're off sailing over in Essos somewhere doing some things instead of reaving and doing what Ironborn do, you know? Yeah. I tried to tie into that in my summary a little bit. You did. I said things like, like, he's king. What am I going to do? It's the the plea of the obedient servant that he's used to being against the, the conflict of but it's not the old way. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I, I'm i too simple to actually weigh these things. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to think about them over and over and over and over again and never come to any conclusion other than it'd be nice if he were out of the way. If, I, if he'd just be dead. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Quentin, poor Quentin, Emmett, not Quentin Martell, yeah. he, uh, yeah. he, just as we were reading these chapters, he did a, he, he does these big long threads of tweets where he yes. tweets like a whole essay in tweet form. And they're fascinating yes. to read. And he happened to do one on Victorion like last week. Um, so I, of course, gravitated right toward it. And he, he used an interesting phrase to describe Victorion. And I think we've maybe talked about this. Um, he says, he is the old way given form. It's like he just is yes. the old way. You know what yes. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And... Uh, he gives a fun example that I went, oh, yeah, this is true. That's remember in the chapter, um, they take all of the prisoners from the Shield Islands, the men and, or the women and children, the men they mostly killed, but the women and the children, and they sold them into slavery, right? Or they were going to sell them into slavery. And uh, Victorian's like, no, that's not how we do it with the old way. Sorry, I'm not yep. using a Victorian voice. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. We don't do it that way. We gotta, uh-huh. we gotta use them for thralls because that's how we do it. We thrall people, and um, and you get the impression, or you you know, it's not even an impression that he's not he's not mad about this because he's like opposed to slavery or something. Yeah, he's mad about the situation because it's not the old way. Yes, right. right. It's yep. <laughs> it's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> When I do Victorian, I use my uh, my Bane voice, Bane from Batman. Very good. Okay. I don't know it. enough about Bane to know that he's that dumb. It's just like, oh, me, me Victorian, <laughs> me kill things. You know, kind of very cavemanish, which is probably too far in that direction. But you know, it serves a purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, it totally does. And Euron puts gives the impression that he's old wayish, but he's not. Right. And and the interesting thing in this chapter that maybe we'll get into in Davos after dark is that his guys, people on his side, start to call him out on it. You mentioned it in your summary. And that's interesting to me. Wait, which ones? Uh, well, there was a few of them um, led by Roderick. That where oh, he says, I'm sorry. I thought you meant his own guy, his mongrels and stuff. I thought is what you meant. Um, you just, yeah, you just mean like Ironborn. Victor, uh, Ralph. Froleg, Alvin, these guys that 
you know, follow Euron. They're not his mongrels. But uh, they speak out against going over, you know, to find Daenerys because it's not old yeah. wayish. And Euron gets to the point that for another reason or some reason or another, you mentioned it in your summary, that he just gets up and leaves, whether he's frustrated yeah. or whatever. Um, well, I, th- I think he is frustrated. And I think it's maybe I didn't do a good enough job in my summary, but I think I think what he sees is a limited way of thinking of the ironborn which is true even people, that's even, correct even the people that are that are following him mm-hmm. they only know what they've had before yeah and so they that's kind of the target for them that's like the zenith of what they can achieve is you know yep. yeah we're going to rape and pillage and and maybe we'll gain some land up the mander you know we'll, we'll get the arbor oh my god we'll have wine for days and months mm-hmm. um that's that's their pinnacle and he's like guys think bigger yeah. You have to think bigger. And so him leaving was almost just like I can't even talk to these guys. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't even understand at all what yeah. a, what where what this game could really lead to. They don't see the vision. And so he's just almost frustrated and also probably wanted to to bang his uh bastard daughter. Yeah, he's feeling the, a little bastard daughter. Feeling a little lusty. No, I agree yeah, with you but, and and he's frankly he's right. They do have a very limited view. But that's interesting to me that, you know, his his hold on the Ironborn, you know, is starting to show some chinks in the armor, right? Yes. Like there's well, he he won him over yeah. with a with a nice horn and promises of glory and gold and stuff like that, but it's it's not as perfect as you know that Kingsmoot might have made it out to be. Well, here's the thing: they may be limited in their thinking. But they aren't wrong. This is going to sound incredibly classist, and I, I don't, I don't believe this conceptually, and, and to be something that can be applied across everywhere. Sure. But the Ironborn are right. There's no way they can con- like yes. outside of some sort of mm-hmm. dragon event like Euron's talking about. They can't conquer the mainland. They don't have enough people. They don't have enough resource. Like there's just no way they could really do it. Mm-hmm. They'd get spread too thin, and they would fail. And so they're not wrong to be like, hey, how about we just take some stuff? Right. Um, given their resources. But Euron is thinking, he's, he's in a completely different mindset. He's thinking dragons and, you know, conquering the mainland with force and they'll get other followers. Like, these are things that people that don't have that information can't even fathom. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't think that they're wrong. No, they're not wrong either. Right. He's yeah. he's right that they need to have a higher vision, but his method of getting there is unreasonable, and they yeah. were right to call him on that. A nice in-between-his-ashes idea. If you can't beat him, maybe join him a little bit. Form yeah. some alliances. You know, yeah. get ahead that way. But yep. yep. That's not the old way. <sighs> but, I, but I will say, Euron is a villain, perhaps, but also just as a leader... Is, is he's more of a strategist. He's not a fighter like maybe some of the Ironborn classic Ironborn Reavers have been. Mm-hmm. I, I thought of it's a movie not a lot of people love, but the second uh, Christopher Nolan Batman film, um, you know, where the whole film you're just directed at 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 this big, huge, hulking Bane character, and and the real villain that has power is Talia Al Ghul. <laughs> Spoilers if you haven't seen that film ten years ago. Um, That's the third she's one the with Bane, right? It's the second one, I think. Is it the third one? Yeah, no, it is the third one. one. You're yeah. right. It is the third second one. I'm sorry. Joker. 
yep, the second one's Joker, which is amazing. Can't believe I mixed those up. No, no worries. Uh, Talia Al Ghul is she's really the danger. She's the manipulator. She's not the warrior. You know, she's but she's the one calling the shots behind, and that's what Euron's trying to be, right? Uh-huh. And and again, even that essence isn't really the Ironborn way. They want their leaders on deck, slashing things, and you know, leading from the front. Yep. And so it's it's different for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> this was a good chapter. I had stuff written down, but I think we might have just covered it all. So. Uh, dragon egg stuff we can leave for later, maybe? Yippers. Okay. Yish. Uh. But just to bring it up, it was said in the chapter that he had a dragon egg and threw it into the sea one day when he got mad. Or was in a bad mood yeah, or something. in one of his moods. Yeah. 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 <laughs> one of his dark moods. And, and I guess the last thing I'd say is the chapter ends with Victorion thinking, ha ha ha, I'll do what you say, but I'll take your woman in the end. Uh, like a, you know, a vaudevillian, uh, villain twisting his mustache, <laughs> you know, uh, as, as he's thinking these thoughts and it's just like, I don't, I don't get the impression that things are going to work out the way you think they will, Victorian. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Euron has your number and knows exactly what's going to happen with yeah, you. Yeah, you got to think that uh, Euron has his finger directly on the pulse of his brother, Victorian. Yeah. You feel like that's the case. Mm. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Uh, okay. Shall we move on or you got more? Uh, let's just stick with the Ironborn and go over yes. to our sweet Asha Greyjoy. Yes. Wayward Bride. Ironborn. The Ironborn, but perhaps a bit of a different kind of Ironborn. So we'll see. Very contrasting with Euron, I think. Oh, that's not what you're talking about. not what I meant. No, but true also, I guess. (laughs) Your smile could make the stars collide. Stars collide. Stars collide. Kraken's daughter, catch the tide. Catch the tide. Yeah, catch the tide. Daddy loves you best cause you're by his side By his side, by his side Youngest and a lady but she'll always hold her steady Cause she's Asha Greyjoy Take you for a ride Asha is squatting in Deepwood Mott as you do Wait, Deepwood Mott? She was just at the King's Moot before What the, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, she ran away. Remember how they made a big deal about how she didn't have the sh- leave the ships loyal to her in the bay where everyone else was parking their boats uh, when she came to the King's Moot? Well, instead of docking on the other side of the island uh, with, with all the other ships, she docked outside of the bay, way far away. I was like, oh, that's weird. Well, after Euron was crowned, she suspected her fate was bad news, and with some prodding by her uncle Roderick the Reader, she bolted along with those loyal to her, over land to their ships, and then away, apparently, to Deepwood Mott, which she had previously captured. But now, relaxing at Deepwood Mott, having escaped a marriage to an old dun man whose caresses make her shudder, Asha receives a troubling letter. Troubling? How so? Self, I'm glad you asked. First, Moat Kalin has been retaken by Ramsay Bolton. This is information we knew styling himself Lord of Winterfell and warning Asha to depart. Second, the letter contains a strap of leather, nay, skin, the skin of her brother. Ugh. As we've just read, the Ironborn under Euron seek the east and dragons. They have no interest in holding the north, leaving Asha and Dagmar Clefjaw at Torn Square completely unsupported. Their cause 
quite literally is hopeless. They have no chance of, of holding out. Asha heads to her chambers and finds Carl the maid there waiting for her. She orders him out, and what I can only assume is their standard foreplay, they brandish weapons, threaten to kill each other, and fuck like crazy. It's a little uncomfortable to read, but you get the sense that this is all part of their courting dance that they've been swaying to for years. Anyway, Asha uses it to forget about all her troubles for a brief time. Dwelling in her fond memories with Carl, she goes under the sheets yet again to pleasure him once more. Post-coitus now, she wanders to the window to ponder her next move. Wolves and skin flares to the south, the ocean too far away for ironborn comfort, and to the north, Stannis Baratheon. Stannis is an old foe of the Iron Men, having crushed them at sea during the Greyjoy Rebellion, but they also share a foe now in the Boltons. Could she count on him to help? She didn't really think so. Even if she offered herself to him, they were both married now, after all, and she didn't think he'd give in. She could choose to go back to her husband, the massive and 88-year-old Eric Ironmaker, who campaigned at the Kingsmoot, but had to be carried in a chair by his kin and couldn't even stand on his own when she challenged him. It wouldn't be a fun fate to return to. She embarrassed him last time, and it wouldn't be good. Heading to the kitchens for a bite, Asha considers more options, as Christopher Botley, the love-struck, ambushes her again. But he ambushes her not just with his protestations of love, but also with a plan. Join him on the open seas. Sail west as far as they can go. Become traitors. Get rich, just as Euron had. But to Asha, this just feels too much like running. Asha notes another idea she had. To carve out a kingdom on Sea Dragon Point. It has trees for building ships, defensible land positions, difficult navigation to reach it, and best of all, miles of coastline with lots of caves for hiding. But Triss shuts this idea down as a dream of a child, and Asha has to admit to herself that it is flawed. Maybe she'll join her uncle Aaron in trying to raise the Isles in revolt, but Triss indicates that the rulers of the islands are seeking out the mischief-makers and will end this mischief one way or another. She can't count on that as a good, as a good strategy. He also touches on something Roderick had mentioned. King's moot decisions were final, except in the case of Torgon the Latecomer, who had a legitimate reason— he wasn't there at the King's Moot to stake his claim. Asha and Aaron can't raise a rebellion on bad election grounds because they both participated in the election. After the history lesson from Triss about Torgon, though, something clicks for Asha. She kisses him on the mouth, excited by the story of Torgon for some reason, but we don't get to hear that reason, because then they hear a war horn. Five men have attempted to breach the gate and rescue lady, the Lady Glover. She teases from a flint before he dies that there are thousands of them out there. The maester pleads with Asha to surrender, that he can bargain for her life as she has used them light, lightly and fairly, that they could exchange them for the Glover children. But Asha chooses to fight, climbing the watchtower to see what they are up against. What she sees isn't pleasing. The odds are insurmountable. So Asha makes a quick decision. They will make for the long ships at the ocean and fight there if need be, with the salt at their backs where Ironborn are more comfortable. The Northmen already battering the North Gate, they flee through the South Gate and make for the ocean. They travel west, then north, making the best time they can and hoping that maybe the Northmen will just be happy to have their castle back and leave them alone. That hope was the hope of a sweet summer child. They stop to rest and to wait for a little light to make the journey a little less treacherous for their horses. But as they all restlessly await the morning, they are attacked. It's a messy battle, and the Ironborn fight bravely, but it was always going to be the same in the end. 
Asha dispatches many foes herself, in the end being hit in the head with an axe and falling to the ground. She hears trumpets blowing, and dreams of red hearts burning and a black stag prancing as she loses consciousness. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh boy. Oh boy. A good one. That was, that was a hair-raising chapter to read. It was. It was a really good chapter. I liked it. I, you know what? I've really grown to love to love Asha. Me too. I, I didn't. I don't. You know, I liked her before. Fine. You know, a, a middling POV that I enjoyed but didn't love. But I, I think on this reread, I've really started to love her. She's great. What's made you like her more on this one? I think it's how she relates to everybody. Mm. It's it's uh, even this maester, right? I said in the in the summary, even this maester's like. Asha, dear, please let us let us put in a good word for you. It's like these are the people you conquered. I mean, compare it to uh, compare it to Theon, who had years and years and years of relationships with these people and treated them maybe fairly. You know, and I think I think even uh, the Macer there did kind of say kind of similar things. But these people, they they almost feel beholden to Asha, and I feel like. Everyone, everyone she comes in contact with, just feels allegiance to her. As noted by the fact that they flee the Kingsmoot over land to sail back to this wooden palisade of a castle to do what other than stall? You know, like what is what is their end game? They have none, and I, I, th- I think it's I think it's the loyalty she inspires that I've really enjoyed reading. And and part of the lo- reason she inspires that loyalty, and I agree with all the points you made, is that she feels that same loyalty to her people. Oh, uh, yeah. It's and mutual. You mentioned other people, even outside of her own, the Maester and and uh, Sibel Glover and stuff like that. Um, they all have this kind of respect for her. But, you know, we see from both of her POVs, have we had more than two? I can't remember, but... I remember at least the Kingsmoot one is that she's incredibly loyal to her people, right? Her guys. Yeah, for sure. What was it when she sailed into, uh, when she sailed with her guys and they got to the place where they were getting to and, um, she's, they like had bread and mustard for her men. And she's like, no, 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 that's not good enough. You are going to put on some meat for them and and really feed these guys up. Listen, three tooth lady, you will go kill a boar for me in the forest. If that's what it takes. Exactly. You'll run one down yourself and tear into it with your two teeth and uh, bring it back. But you know, she does that same thing for her people. And even when she knows like hope is lost, she puts a smile on her face and gives her people what they want and they follow her and they'll fight for her. And yeah, Yeah. Asha's great. Um, how she she came from a people like the Ironborn and a family like the Greyjoys and ended up with the mind that she has is just beyond yeah. me, but it happens, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, this is maybe a storytelling trope, but she's good at heart. She is. Uh, there are people that, uh, you know, I don't know, nature versus nurture kind of stuff. I don't want to get into all of that, but like, she just has a good heart in her. You know, saving the Glover babes is not something she had to do. Yep. She did it. It was the right thing to do. You know, treating her men virtually as equals, she doesn't have to do it. She feels like it's the right thing to do, and, and as such, they reward her, you know, with loyalty. Um, ah, gosh, I don't know. I just feel like I don't want to go too far out on a limb, 
but I feel like she might be the best leader in the series. Oh my god. Did I just say that? I didn't have that written down as a note. That's quite the I'm, claim. I'm just talking myself into it. Let's tell me I'm wrong. Let's tell me think I'm wrong. That. I, let, no, let's think about that. Maybe not here. But <laughs> just because I can't think, think of enough, I can't think yeah. of enough guys well, off the top of my head. But I, I think a, the a statement let's like that deserves some thought. Yeah, yeah. Is name the, me a better leader than Asha? And we're not talking about amount of people that they have under them or whatever, but ability to lead. Yeah, and inspire Give me one loyalty. Give me one. Yeah. No, she doesn't have maybe some of the challenges that some of the others have had. Her her scope of leadership is smaller, if you will. Yeah. Uh, if she had been elected to the King's Moot, maybe she would have had more more chances to screw up or something. But <laughs> for given the opportunity she's been given, I it's hard to think of one that I feel has done better within her. Somebody, realm. Will, I'm sure somebody will be like, somebody will name somebody obvious and be like, oh yeah, you're right. But I don't know, man. She does a good job. Yeah, you got your Rob Starks and your Stannis Baratheons and your. Oh, Danny's and Jon Snow's and I don't know. Yeah. There's a whole host of people we could look at all with varying degrees of responsibility and leadership. But yep. Yep. yeah, it's, that's a fascinating thought to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, even her, even her uh, stuff with Carl, it's kind of like, it's kind of sweet in a raunchy way. Mm-hmm. A little role playing it's, and it's, stuff. But. It's sweet in a rapey way. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it made me uncomfortable. George has again straddled this line, and look, there there are all sorts of. I don't want to be come off as a prude here because I'm not. Um, there are all sorts of of kink and things that get people off that I don't I don't judge negatively at all, and I feel like this is just part of of what they do. Um, but 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 also generally. If you put this text in front of, you know, person unassociated with the series and said, look, she said no, and look at what he did to her, he cut her shirt open. Mm-hmm. Like, that's rape in general terms today. But but I feel like this is, that that takes the context of their whole relationship out. Exactly. Did he do that the first time they did this? Probably not. It's it's a role they've cultivated over years of a relationship that's something that they both enjoy, and and so it's okay. Right. And her her little line, Carl pleased her than more more than all the rest together. Yeah, it's kind it's of just sweet. sweet. It's a little house on the prairie moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She loves the guy. Yeah, but she understands she probably can't have him. Uh, I think she said at one time that she'd totally marry him if she could, but um, he's too lowborn. Yeah, it's a disappointing to see that line of thinking, but it's you know right. commensurate with the times they're in. Right. Um. Uh, yeah. Anyways. She had a couple oh. great one-liners in this chapter. Oh, yeah? Hit me um, with them. Okay, so only one of hers is the line. The other one was just <laughs> a, a, a George a couple, line. I mean one. It was a narrator line. I had two <laughs> All here. Right. Um, All right. I loved her line of, splash some blood upon the moon with me. I thought that was a uh, cool line. She says it to Triss when they're about to go out and fight. Uh-huh. Uh, splash some blood upon the moon with me, and I promise you a kiss for every kill. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of poetic in a way. It is. Splash. He's the only one that I disapprove of how she treats him. <laughs> that's a mean thing to say it to really somebody that's is. in love with you. He's made. She's made it very clear to him. Right. I am not into you. 
She's just and not then that into. She kisses into, him but... and promises him more kisses yeah. if he kills people. <laughs> I'll kiss you more. Yeah. Uh, but the other line that I loved, um, just because it's kind of heart wrenching in a way, is no singer would ever make a song about that battle. Yes. I love that line. Oh, that's yep. maybe that maybe goes up there with one of my favorite lines from the whole series. Yeah. No singer would ever make a song about that battle. And actually I have a follow up line to that that's gonna be my sign off, so I'm not gonna say it now. Um And yet and yet the way he paints that scene, a singer totally should make a song about that battle. The sun creeping in through the mist, you know, the uh, like uh, it sounds it sounds like a great song to me. Yeah, totally. Give it to give it to, you know, some balladeer. He'll, you know, give it to Gordon Lightfoot. He could make a career out of that song again. <laughs> yes, my, I just went Gordon Lightfoot on your ass. My parents saw a Gordon Lightfoot concert a couple years ago here in Salt Lake. <laughs> yes, he was still performing as of a couple years yeah. ago. And my friend went to that concert. Did yeah. he say the same thing that Lightfoot was Alicia, completely Alicia Williams if you're listening. Completely yeah. incoherent that oh, no. couldn't understand a word he was saying. Oh, that's just sad. couldn't he was just mumbling through his lyrics. It was just like my parents said it was terrible, but I didn't get to talk to her after the concert about it, so yeah. I'll have to bring it up next time I see her. Maybe do that. Uh, he's pretty old, but... Um, yeah, what a horrifying battle. Just dark of yes. night. You can't see... You can't even see who you're trying to kill. Um, yes. You got the uh, the redhead gal out fighting naked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just jumps into the fight. Yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. You know, at some point, Asha doesn't even know what weapon she has or how she got it, but she has a weapon yeah. in her hand and she's still swinging it. Yeah. George has done that before. I, maybe tearing at the green fork. He's uh, like, I don't even know how I get, had this weapon. Yeah. He's he's done that a couple you times. Just pick it up and, and you go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no singer would ever make a song about that battle. That's, yeah, it's a beautiful line. It yeah. is a beautiful line. It's It makes you think, yeah. you know, the, the why we do things. And sometimes you feel like, you know, you're not noticed for the, for all the little things that you do, but yeah, you do it anyways, right? Yep. Anyways, uh, about that battle, it'll yeah. be interesting to see who is, who is fighting on the other side, right? Well, I think Asha gives the game away with her dream. Um, I don't think we can try to play too dumb. <laughs> I love playing uh, dumb. A black prancing stag and a heart on fire. I think it's it's clear that we're meant to believe it's Stannis. Stanny boy, who we know is gallivanting around the north right now in that general vicinity. Um, yeah, I mean, I on a honestly, goodwill tour. A goodwill tour. A goodwill tour of please donate men to my cause. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would have. Uh, it's hard to put the timeline together, especially with Fee Stance the way we're reading it, but. It, it feels like he made it far really fast. Given given what we know about what John said, like you'll have to feast with these people for weeks at a time right. to like earn their trust and stuff. It feels like he went a long way in a short time to me. But uh, you know, maybe I'll deconstruct that later. And I think we talked about post. that. That that's a. It feels like we talked about this back when it happened. That John seems to make it be like. You know, you just got to go do this thing, and it makes it sound like oh, let's go spend a week out there or something. When really, that's a that's like a months long, yeah, fundraising campaign that yes. he's going on. All worth it. Man raising campaign. All uh, worth it. 
Hopefully. All worth it. Uh, I have a Shakespeare note. Okay. This is... Uh, I played Banquo once mm. in Macbeth. It was mm-hmm. uh, one of the, one of the more fun shows I've I've ever been in. Uh, Did I get and... that right? By the way, is Macbeth your favorite Shakespeare play? No, it's Hamlet. Dang it! I do love Macbeth, but but Hamlet is Hamlet is probably my favorite piece of literature of any kind. I think on Twitter. Uh, oh, maybe I said Hamlet. I don't remember. No, you said Macbeth. Did I say Macbeth? Dang it! Yeah, but I didn't feel like I didn't feel like correcting you. It's okay. Hamlet. You know what? Macbeth is great. It's a great piece. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, it's darker. It's uh, got some excellent themes. It's great, but um, clearly lifted uh, an homage, perhaps hmm. uh, this the people cutting down the trees and walking, you know, with them an army of trees on the move to kind of conceal their numbers and and, and advance toward the castle. Uh, a reference to Burnham Wood come to Dunsinane, uh, which is a, a great piece of that play. Uh, I guess coincidentally, if you have not read. Macbeth, go check it out, man. It's really good. Yeah, you got to read that before you die. That's a good one. Yeah, it really is. And I, I actually did just a little bit of research today, just on Macbeth and Scottish history and stuff. Um, Macbeth was a real dude. He was a king for I think they said seventeen years. Mm. And uh, the history written about him that Shakespeare consulted um, did mention this Burnham Wood chopping down the trees and carrying them with them, and something he lifted for the for the play. Oh, nice. So, uh, something that supposedly, yeah, like really happened. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's based in history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, we do want to talk about the realization or the epiphany that Asha had in talking to Christopher. But, um, is that a, is that a that dad for, thing or is that a, I think we're going to okay. say that for dad. Yep. Um, hmm. Yeah. Think it, you ever, you ever, you ever have one of those uh, those moments where you're like, you don't want to make a decision. You got two terrible choices to make. And they're the only two options, and so you just go hide for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or start over. Or try to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you're I, saying that uh, Asha did after the king's moot. Yeah, I mean, she returned to Deepwood Mott because it's like, what is she? She doesn't want to face whatever her fate is. Um, you know. But she, so she just goes and kind of hides for a bit. Uh-huh. I had a I had a friend. Um, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. He won't care. His name's Fernando, and uh, he he had accumulated a large amount of debt uh, when he was like eighteen, nineteen. Mm. Um, interesting guy, hilarious, one of the funniest guys I've ever met, but also uh, tragically troubled in in several ways. But um, he. He had accumulated all this debt, and he decided his his family was LDS, but he was you know kind of drifted from the faith, and he decided he was going to go on a mission, just so that he didn't have to pay the interest back. <laughs> okay. Immediately, just so that he could forget about it for two years. Uh-huh. And you know, at the time, I was twenty. I wasn't that much older than him, and I'm like, you, you know how flawed this is, right? Like it doesn't. Really it doesn't go away. Way. You're, you're just going to have to pay it when you get back. You don't, you know, going on a mission is noble work, but you don't get paid for it, and this is just going to be worse. And he's like, yeah, but I just don't want to think about it for two years. It's like, well, I feel like Asha's doing that. It's like, you, you, can't, you can't run from this. Mm-hmm. You, you have to face something, 
and her interest is, yeah, she's been attacked by some army, right? Absolutely. And unfortunately, the Ironborn do not have any real experience with conquest. They reeve and then they go. So they like leave, yeah. she mentioned before. Reeve and leave, baby. Reeve and leave. I like that. Um, don't fear the reaver. She, they, they, when they initially took Deepwood Mott, they trampled the fields. Yeah. Without yes. all their so harvest it's and a, everything. It's, it's a reasonably subtle note he leaves. Yeah. yeah. They just, they're, they're not used to a sustained, we're going to stay here now on your land type of conquest. It is yeah. take all your riches, your women, your children who can serve as thralls, and we get out. And yep. and so, you know, really in the end, small wonder that this really isn't working out and that the people of Deepwood Mott are on the brink of starvation. And, you know, this was coming to an end at some point. And uh, yep. like you said, here we go. Yeah. Cut and run. Yeah. Yeah, we're All finding right. this is a this is kind of a theme of um, not having a, an easy decision. We're going to get a Danny chapter here in a little bit where we get some more of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you got some Jon Snow stuff that's not in this block of chapters, but we see a lot going on with him of uh, no easy decisions. So. Well, yeah, frankly, this story is full of them and yeah. so is life. Mm-hmm. It's a very yeah. realistic look at it. Yeah. All right, on to Tyrion. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion Lannister or Imp, if you please. Tyrion enters Volantis, trussed up like a goose, on the saddle of his knightly captor. Knigatly captor. Knigat. <laughs> <laughs> that same Knigat mentioned at the end of the previous chapter that he would be taking Tyrion to the queen. Tyrion's under the impression that specifically refers to Cersei. It's, you know, it's the only queen he ever thinks about. It's practically the only person he thinks about, despite the fact that he hates her so much. Uh, Thus, he is anxious, but trying to patiently bide his time until an escape opportunity presents itself. As they work their way through the city of Volantis, they pass the enormous Temple of the Lord of Light, where the high priest Benero addresses the vast, vast crowd. Tyrion understands next to nothing of Benero's address, which is spoken in High Valyrian, but Tyrion's captor translates a little, revealing that the high priest supports Daenerys, claiming that she is Azora High, and is warning the crowd that she stands in peril for minions of night plotting her destruction. So uh, they move on, and after a stop at a blacksmith shop where Tyrion is fitted with a fresh, new, heavy set of manacles for his feet and hands, he and his captor stop at the stop for the night at the enormous merchant's house, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. They take a room there, and Tyrion is chained to the wall in that room and forced to endure a very uncomfortable night's sleep. And it's during their slumber party chat that Tyrion makes maybe the greatest duh reveal of the series that his captor is Jorah Mormont. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. It was hard to. Uh, anyways, recalling Jorah's earlier earlier days when he was an informer for Varys, Tyrion reveals that he was sent out here as well by Varys and that they should be working together. Jorah tells him, however, that his loyalties now lie elsewhere. 
The next morning, Jorah, with Tyrion in tow, goes to meet with the Widow of the Waterfront, also known as Vogaro's Whore, to ask for passage to Marine. This elderly lady apparently runs a pretty cool, kind of almost under-the-table operation in Volanta. She owns a lot of things and stuff, but... Uh, they go to her when you need something done. Uh, I'd love to learn more about her secret underground operations. You know, there's more than meets the eye going on with her. <laughs> I'll um, bet you would. So the widow wants to know why Jorah wants to get to Marine so quickly when he could just wait and join the sellsword forces that are soon to depart for that very same location with assault on their minds. Jorah reluctantly admits that he, the reason he wants to go is he wants to serve Daenerys. The widow is skeptical of these intentions. Yeah, right. You and every other dude. And she eventually turns her attention to Tyrion, revealing that she knows who he is, Kinslayer. Uh, she respects Tyrion's honest answer to her questions about his intentions, which is that he will give Danny whatever she wants if only he is able to get his revenge on Cersei. Uh, nevertheless, the widow is still not of a mind to help them. So, of a bit of a side note here, earlier on, uh, since they'd been at the merchant's house that morning, Tyrion had noticed a fellow dwarf had been eyeing him, and not in an admiring way. And so now, as he and Jorah are concluding their business with the widow, the dwarf assaults Tyrion with a knife. He notices in the nick of time and is able to fling some wine in the dwarf's face. A scuffle ensues, and the dwarf uh, eventually ends up being restrained by Jorah and is revealed to be actually a woman, a woman dwarf. Hysterically, she blames Tyrion for the death of her brother, who we find out was killed by fortune seekers who sought to take his head to Cersei, parading it as Tyrion's, obviously to get the bounty. Um, Tyrion then makes an it's a small world after all connection, realizing that this dwarf, who we find out is named Penny, and her brother were actually two of the performers at Joffrey's wedding. Oh, hey. Uh, at this point, the widow intercedes and ushers Penny off to be calmed down and taken care of. She then, all of a sudden, flips and decides to help Tyrion, saying that, and Jorah by extension, saying that a ship is headed to Karth in two days, and if they are on it, they could get to Marine on the way there. Uh, her only request is that should they reach Daenerys, they pass along a message. Tell her we are waiting. Tell her to come soon. And that's the end of this chapter. Um, it's kind of a rough Mo chapter. <laughs> Moving Tyrion's arc along yeah. is what I would call this chapter. Getting from um, point A to point B. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad. I feel like uh, the, way, the way you told that chapter, uh, it makes it seem like we should not have known who Jorah was, and I'm pretty sure I spoiled that in the last episode. So sorry, Kalasar, if I did that. I didn't realize it was a secret. Well, it's, it's they don't specifically say this is Jorah Mormont until that moment in the room. But if you didn't know that was Jorah Mormont, you you're missing a lot more. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe it's time to find a new series of books to read. <laughs> Ouch! Boxcar children. Boxcar children. <laughs> no, that's mean to say. Um, 
there's there's a few things. Okay. You want me to uh, go ahead? Um, well, I guess the first thing is just uh, you mentioned it a little bit, um, but he pleads with uh, is it Vogoro? Is that her name? Vogoro. Um, well, Vogoro. It's her. It that was her husband's name. Oh right. Uh, the Volpine Lady, which means foxy, by the way, Volpine. If you didn't know My what that means, foxy uses it lady. Twice. Foxy, foxy lady. Cue the left-handed axe man. Here perhaps. I come, baby. I'm coming to yeah. get you. Uh, so he tells her about, you know, as long as I can get revenge on my sister. But what he really says is, so long as I can I'll... rape... And kill my I sister. I left that part out. <laughs> Good job, Matt. I'm trying to keep keep things clean, but I couldn't let it go. That is a new That's level. That's a disgusting thought. That is a new level. Killing? Kill, look, listen. Killing can be construed as a matter of defense in his case. Mm-hmm. He knows that she's out to get him, and maybe he wants to kill her so that she doesn't kill him first. Raping and killing... Is a level of disgust and hatred that it's beyond the pale it's to use the English new phrase. Levels. It's too much. Yep. It's too much. It's disgusting. Kill her and be done with it. Why rape? What? Is, this is some sort of level of embarrassment, right? Like I, I don't know. It it feels. He knows that it would be the absolute worst of the worst to Cersei for her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, rape in and of itself is beyond the pale. It is horrific. But here's what I'll say. I'm I'm surprised a little bit that his head is still in this space Mm -hmm. based on how he has been dealing with killing his own father. He has been dealing with this for I don't know what it's been now, months. Months, we could say. And I wouldn't say he's dealing with it really well. It's surprising to me that he wants that he's seeking to inflict more 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 pain on his family. Mm-hmm. It's a little surprising, and it's getting worse. It got better for a little while, yeah. And now, <laughs> what do you plan to offer the Dragon Queen, little man? My hate, he says. He's absolutely yeah. fueled by it right now. It's pure, yeah. unadulterated. And Dan and Danny is so not about that. Yep. Too, it's it's completely incongruous to what she's about. Now she makes some shitty choices as every character does, but she, but I, I don't think even even the detractors of Danny could say that she's based in hate. Everything she wants to do is you know based in some sort of good direction. Mm-hmm. She makes some choices that punish people based on that direction, but. Well, we see hate, hate isn't part of her. She doesn't let it flow through her. Uh-huh. Let's put it that way. Uh, this isn't the perfect example, so maybe it's not a yeah. Uh, I was just thinking of how she reacts to a lot of the things that the shave pate suggests, which she shoots him down like every single time. She thinks it. And, yeah, she thinks it's inane. She's like, "Are you crazy? Like, no way." Yeah. Yeah. Which he he doesn't do do things completely fueled by hatred. I think he does hate. 
the sense of the harpy and stuff. It's more just out of a cold sense of I can get this done here, so I'm going to do it. But yeah, it's that it's I that think brutality. It, well, yeah. It's that brutality um, approach that she. Nope, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, let's see. Uh, so it sounds like Tyrion and Jorah are headed in that general direction. East. Yep. Um, like a fart. <laughs> and that's about it. I, I don't know that I have too much more to share in this chapter. Uh, we Have we already heard the backstory of Jorah in text? That's funny. That's exactly what I was going to bring up if you were about to move on. Um, we've heard we've heard bits, uh, but w- we haven't heard these details mm-hmm. about fighting on the Roin and uh, you know making some coin and coming back to Lise and finding her with another lover. We knew we knew that she found another lover. We didn't know that she found it while he was fighting basically as a sellsword on her behalf. Um, it's a pretty gruesome tale, uh, you know, of betrayal. Big time. It, it really make it really makes you feel for him. I mean, mm-hmm. he he's basically he's had to leave his home, um, you know, to try to make her happy. They go to this other place. They still don't have enough money. He sells himself into service. She goes another way anyway, and I don't know. I I hesitate to throw too much blame on her either. I I feel like it's a weird thing, man. I have this obsession with the high towers after listening to. Uh, you know, a few different things, uh, including um, Westeros, Wineverly, and and some history of Westeros stuff. I, I have this obsession with the High Towers. I just don't. I don't. I don't know what he was thinking in a, even allowing this marriage. A guy wins a tournament, and you're going to give a daughter to him, even though your cultures don't line up at all. You know what your daughter is like. It just it feels wrong. I don't I don't know what this high tower is about, but it's like it's like it he, feels bad. He gets caught up in the pomp of it all. Jorah did very well at that tourney, right? And it's like he got just caught yeah. up in the moment and didn't realize know, what that, was happening. And I know we know almost nothing about about was it Leighton High Tower? Yeah, Leighton uh, up in his tower, but. They don't. They don't feel like a family that is given to an urgent need to satisfy the desires of the moment. They're not impulsive. It feels like they're planning things out. This just feels like a. I don't. I can't explain it. This, it. It feels. I've used this word like three times. Incongruous to the rest of their actions. Giving. Is it Lyness? Mm-hmm. Lyness to to uh, Jorah. Hmm. It it feels wrong. It doesn't feel like it fits to me as a puzzle piece. I don't, I don't have anything else to say about it. It just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had uh, higher thoughts in mind for Jorah. He'd go on to do something bigger, but he couldn't. Like he was just he's the heir to Bear Island. Yeah. So it wasn't like yeah. he was gonna. What? That's what go I mean. Do something he, they should have been. Exactly. They should have been able to evaluate what this was and would your daughter who you know, is she going to be happy up there? Is this going to be something that works out, really? Uh-huh. It doesn't make any sense. And look, I mean, you could write the Star Wars universe as an example. You can write so many offshoot stories about all of these things to justify it, but 
I don't see it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see it as a valid choice for Hightower to make. Yeah, my only explanation is getting caught up in the moment. Yes. Yeah. You fantastic yeah. warrior. You've won the yeah. day. You know when those type of events are going on. I think of it like the Olympics. When yeah. the Olympics come on, all of a sudden these athletes who are deserving of our praise with how much work they put into things, but they but become in the spotlight never our, until four yeah, years, and yeah. they are our heroes for those. Not even the full two weeks for those couple of days that their event yeah. is going on, right? Yep. yep. Everyone, you know, during the twenty. Oh, was it 10 Olympics that the goalie for the team United States, Ryan Miller, everybody knew who Ryan Miller was for that week. And he was an American hero. Um, you know, Michael Phelps, I guess he's kind of an exception. He kind of stays. He's been a hero for like 20 yeah. years. <laughs> but yeah. some of these other guys, they're, they are our heroes for that amount of time. And then they kind of go off into obscurity again a lot of them are locked away training for the next olympics right but yeah uh, and and i wonder if it was kind of one of those things where he just caught up in the hero moment of the spectacle of it all that would yeah. be my only explanation which goes against again what you said this idea that the high towers are a very careful forward-thinking family I feel like they are. I don't have any evidence. It's one of the really interesting things. They are. We don't hear almost anything about them. They're an extremely powerful family. Old family, too. we get almost nothing from them. Yeah. Which is why I feel like there's some sort of thing lying in wait with them. But I don't have any proof or I haven't done the research. But they're overshadowed kind of by the Tyrells. Um, Yes, exactly. Although they probably shouldn't be. And that's, that's something I'll get into with our special family episode. But um, but but I will say this: he did have. I think it's the the memory is fleeting. But I f- I feel like he has a few daughters, several, maybe like three or four, and mm-hmm. so yeah, you got to get rid of them to somebody. Um, and so you know maybe there was some pressure there. But and we also uh, well, this is they, they have a lot of kids. The High Towers, if I remember right, this is hinted at in. We're spending a lot of time on this. I don't know if you meant to. Um, Meh. Uh, Stefan Sasse talks about this yep. particularly Stephen in, in his yeah. um, Southern Ambitions essay mm-hmm. um, Great essay about how normally you marry within your region to strengthen yep. to power and, and, and yep. stuff within your region and how uncommon it was for the Starks to marry with the Tullys and stuff like that. and Anybody but the Boltons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Not the Tullys, though. The Tullys was a little weird. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying, how uncommon oh. that was. Oh, uh, oh, oh, uncommon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, Sorry. you know, and then the Baratheons getting into it and the Aarons getting into it because they're from different regions of Westeros. You know, you yeah. know Eddard's father had married a Flint in the north and yep. that's usually how it was and so for a high tower again to marry out to a mormont clear oh. up on the other end of the continent that's uh that's quite the jump are you are you we're getting a, a, a little bit into davos after dark territory maybe but are you implying that that they were trying to engage themselves in the southern ambitions a kind of a territory or it just came to me now but it feels like eh, if you're really going to engage in the Southern ambitions, are you really going to marry a Mormont? A Mormont? <laughs> you're going to shoot a little bit higher. No offense to the yeah. Mormons, although 
that's the, that's, that's, the nor- that's the that's the northern ambitions <laughs> yeah. plan. Yeah, you know? that's a win uh, for the Mormons marrying into the high towers. <clears throat> but yeah. anyways, have we talked about Volantis at all? <laughs> I feel like we de- we derailed this big time. When did we talk Maybe about okay. Volantis? It was with the Quinton chapter, right? That Volantis yeah. is another one of those cities that is just seems like lipstick on a pig to me. Just, it feels like a mess to yeah. me. I I don't even know what city to compare it to. I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, like then. it feels, yeah, it feels like a disaster. I mean, this one thing they do detail here that I'm not sure that we got too much detail about before is that there are kind of two sides of it. There's kind of like a a rich side and a poor side. The you know, yeah, across the, sharks the, and the jets maybe. Yeah, and uh, when you're a jet, you're a jet. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I did that. Um, you know, and this details maybe the poorer half, and 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 that all leads into the Volpine uh, uh, mob boss saying, you know, come sooner rather than later, right? She, the, the I feel like half of this city is waiting for deliverance. Um, maybe more than half. Yeah, maybe. Well, well, yeah. Half plus four fifths of every household, which are slaves. slaves yeah. yeah, yeah. Crazy. So, uh, the only other thing maybe I have to say about this is poor Oppo killed for no reason. Killed for no reason. Um, and also, they eat something well, called honey sausage, which I'm going to try to find a recipe for. That doesn't even sound good to me. Oh really? It sounds delicious. I don't. I don't like mixing my sweet and my savory. Have we talked about this? Well, like, there are lines. I mean, you don't want to make it too sweet, but well, like when we're having breakfast food, which is yeah. Ron Swanson said, there is no sadness that breakfast food cannot fix. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, like I have to, if I'm having like pancakes with um, syrup. syrup. Thank you. I can't, yeah. that syrup cannot touch like my eggs or my bacon or my sausage because I have the sweet stuff touching my, my bacon. Listen, I definitely don't want it on my eggs. I don't want it on my biscuits or gravy if I have it, but with my sausage, I don't mind it so much huh. to the point, to the point where they even make like, you know, they in do. this blasphemy of, uh, of times that we're in, they actually make like they do uh, and Vermont syrup sausage, yep, and it is horrific. No, it's delicious. It can go to hell. But my local store Harmons stopped selling it. So good. Damn you, Harmons. Harmons no. is doing the Lord's work. But <laughs> you know not of what you speak. <laughs> I don't like my the. Um, However, the, the... Mary and Pippin are on your page because they make me clean off their plate of syrup before I put syrup before I put sausage boys. on their plate. I, so I generally have my Pippin pancakes are... on a separate plate. <sighs> yeah, I'm that picky guy. My wife has to set out two plates for me. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm the one that sets the table. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't like it. Uh, I want to say I want to say one more thing of of consequence uh, that really struck me uh, while I was reading this chapter. Are you ready for it? Ready. It's not funny. It's it's a it's of real consequence. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's they talk and and I think it, it could go maybe could, could easily slip under the rug. 
they talk about these priests uh-huh. that are drafted, essentially, uh-huh. into the church. They buy them. They're slaves. You know, at birth or when they're young, they're slaves. And they essentially teach them to be faithful, uh-huh. to have this passion for the church. And Matt, I hope you're offended because this is this is the biggest affront to faith that you can make mm-hmm. of forcing an individual to grow up in a certain way and teach them that they have to attend to a flock that they have to attend to a set of beliefs mm-hmm. they must conform to a structure that they're born into it is it is as a as a non-religious person, I find it offensive. And you bring up a good point, and I'm glad you did. It is offensive in a way, and it and it's rooted in the real world. Um, as a religious person growing up, and you know, for those of you who haven't picked up on this yet, Scad and I grow up in a or grow up. We live in an area that is uh, and grew up. Yeah, grew up as well that is predominantly of one religion, that being the LDS or Mormon faith. And um, as a parent, that is a fine line to walk itself, right? You know, at, at what point do I say, kids, you're going to church because I'm your dad, and I'm saying that we are going to church as a family? And at what point do I let them choose, you know, do you want to keep going to church with it? You know what I mean? Like, well, I feel like this is important for you as your father and that you should go because this is important to me. And I think that you'll find as you grow up that it will be important to you as well. So you're going and you know what I mean? Yes. And I do, I do know what you mean, but it's not what I meant to imply. I know. I did not, I did not mean to imply that. I didn't take offense to what you said. No. There, there's a key difference in what you're saying mm-hmm. versus what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You are in a society where your children are encouraged, and frankly, all societies, from the Amazon to the Far East to er- everywhere, you are part of a culture that will encourage certain beliefs. And there's no way to escape that encouragement. And I don't look down upon that. It's just part of life. It's just part of culture. You are going to gravitate toward the things that you're involved with. If you grow up in Utah with a Mormon family, you are probably going to gravitate towards those beliefs. Will you end up believing them? Depends on who you are, right? But I don't think you're I don't think you're at fault for encouraging those beliefs in any way. This is different. Mm-hmm. This is people bought and paid for and told you must believe these things from day 1. And you will promote these things from day yeah. one, and you don't have to cho- have a choice. If you don't believe, believe them, them, you now, will please. still promote them. <laughs> yeah. It's a completely different thing. Right. Our, every culture in the world, I, I mean, there are scientific studies on this about, you know, the percentages of if you grow up in this culture, you will retain those cultural beliefs because that's what you were raised with, and people tend to reject things that are strange to them you will just grow into those things that you were taught. There are millions of studies about this. None of it is wrong because people are just living their lives, teaching what they believe. Those are all fine. This is different. 
This is purposefully manipulating a system and forcing people to promote things that they have no clue about nor have any interest in culturally because they are brought in as a slave mm -hmm. to do them. Yeah. And here's the thing. I'm not a religious person. However, I have tremendous respect for people of faith. I envy them. I wish I had it in some way. People of faith have an experience. They have a bond. They have a connection to something. This is a faked connection that these people that are slaves are dealing with. It's a faked, false, enforced connection. And even as someone that's an atheist, it's almost maybe the worst thing I can imagine. It is terrible in the sense that they're taking people along with them, right? That that forced connection is leading others down uh, potentially incorrect path. I don't know. But, you know, it's one thing to do it for yourself, but when you're taking a bunch of other people down with you, the consequences are greater, yeah. right? These are, maybe I said it poorly, these are personal choices. If you take away the personal choice of faith, it's insulting. Yep. Yeah, faith is to be cultivated, not forced upon. Yeah. Yeah, it's an affront, and it, it makes me. I don't. I don't know that I picked out on a previous rereads, but the faith of Relore took a big hit in my mind <laughs> in this chapter. Personally, yep. They are as much a part of the system as everything else over in Essos, aren't yeah. they? Sad, indeed. Yeah. All right, we ready for Danny? Yes, we are. I just realized right, how long we've been it. at this. Yeah, me too. I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh my god. Holy cow. Oh, geez. It's been a good episode. It has been. It's been fun. If it's three hours long, right. it's three hours long. Let's do it. Well, whatever it takes. All right. Uh, Danny Five, here we go. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go. Kicking it with the dragon kids and Joe the Andal. She knows just where she gotta go and won't be tarrying. Look out, Westeros, here comes the nearest Targaryen. Kalisar, this is a bit of a weird chapter. We kind of know a lot of the stuff in this chapter from the windblown chapter that we just read, and the rest is just kind of reactions of Danny and company as they are faced with some tough choices around that information. I did write a play-by-play -play summary, um, you know, kind of going through the whole chapter, but I read through it, and to be honest, it was garbage. Maybe a comment on my writing, or I don't know. But instead, I'm just going to play the greatest hits version of this chapter which is the following. A series of bullet points for your enjoyment. Marine is surrounded by ships. All trade via ships is cut off, and they have no fleet to deal with this problem. The only hope that Danny has is in the Lazarine to trade with her, and in her own crops that she's planted, beans, grapes, and wheat, hoping that they'll bear fruit and that she can feed her city, because trade is a no-go. Second, the Pale Mare as predicted by Quaithe, has come to Marine in the form of a single rider on a pale white horse fled from Astapor. Everyone is fearful of this disease, Barristan indicating that he has seen entire armies brought low by the pale mare. Everyone cautions Danny against letting him into the city, and she relents, ordering a camp to be set up outside the walls. The shave pate 
is still an untrusting bastard that wants to kill every member of the ruling families, including Danny's semi-betrothed Isdarzo Lorak, who he insists either is the Harpy or is in league with him, or it, or her, or whatever. Danny doesn't believe it, though, thinking that her detractors are legion. Reznak Mo Reznak, on the other hand, is as obsequious as ever, trying to sell Danny on the idea of marrying his Dar as soon as possible to create some sort of peace within the city. Also, Astapor is a smoking ruin. Uh, she gets several people appearing in her court to tell her about it. Uh, the people abandoned by her and on the run from the Pale Mare and from the Yunkai as well. Also, we learn that Danny is reluctant to use the dragons. She's worried that she can't control them. The unwillingness to use them also sits uneasily with Brown Ben Plum, who's been recalled from the field to consult. Uh, he starts to advise her, when realizing that he won't use the dragons, that she should start thinking about the best way to leave Marine. Danny won't leave Marine, though, as she did ask poor. And she tries to gauge if she has the firepower to win a war with the Yunkai without the dragons. See, she feels tremendous guilt about the way Astapor is gone. And she doesn't want Marine to become the same way. So she wants to stay and fight if she can, but can she win? Well, Bearson thinks it's possible. He wants to ride out to meet them when they don't expect it, rather than just waiting and rotting in the castle under siege. Or, uh, or the city under siege, rather. Uh... Also of note, Hisdar, who promised a peace, if you remember from the last episode, uh, he promised he could bring peace if Danny agreed to marry him. He's brought 26 straight nights of peace. Uh, and Danny doesn't want to do anything to endanger this peace. It's fragile, and she wants to protect it. Uh, the people of Astapor, which I noted are burning, they still really love Danny, insisting that she'll come and rescue them in their last hour of need, but she doesn't. This feeds to the guilt that I talked about before. Uh... Danny is still boy crazy for Dario. Wanted to just throw that in there. Still a thing. Um, still thinks about him all the time. Uh, and lastly, uh, Danny is leaning toward letting Barrison fight this battle. Having heard all the information about her soldiers, the opposing soldiers, what's coming disease wise, how she's fighting a battle within the city, all these things. She knows, though, that she can't do it while the city inside is full of malcontents. She needs his dar and a lasting peace to unify behind if she is to have any chance against the Yunkai. And that's the end of the chapter. Hey, a nice greatest hits. That's a good way to approach this <laughs> chapter. This was this was not like uh, you know, Mr. Big greatest hits. This was like uh Meatloaf? The Beatle this was like the Beatles greatest hits. This is, there were a lot of hits to mention here. <laughs> there were. Yes, there was. Um, okay. What do you want to talk about? Oh, there's there's a few things. Uh, you want to talk about Hisdar first? Okay. How's he doing it? I I think I agree with old Shave Pater. I, yeah. Whether, whether he's the leader or they have a central leader or not, I think Hisdar was in league with the Harpies in some way or another. And he's getting what he wants now, so he's stopping the killings. Right. I yeah. think it's as simple as that. I think so, too, and I wonder why she doesn't see it that way. Because she doesn't want to, like, maybe? 
Well, she mentions, uh, I don't know if she specifically calls it this, but it's a fragile piece. And so maybe she just doesn't want to disturb that. Mm-hmm. It's happening. But, We've got peace. Yeah. Who cares yeah. how? Yeah. I don't know. I I just, I. it feels it feels a bit of a, a bit uh, ostrich head in the sand to me. But mm-hmm. I agree. You know, it is what it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I kind of skipped over it, but. Danny gives Grolio a hard time. Oh. I don't think it's fair. Me necessarily. neither. No, not at all. I'd become a Grolio fan. And I think might be more out of pity than anything. What a tragic character. Well, here's what he is. He's a normal guy. Maybe maybe perhaps like upper middle management. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And he's he's doing his job and it's like, oh, you know what? Fuck you. I'm taking away every resource you have. I'm taking away your life. Also still do your job. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> what do you want? What do you... Huh? Like, what do you want me to do? Uh-huh. Build ships. I don't know how to build ships. I sail them. Right. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, it's uh, it's insulting uh, a little bit. It really is. So I feel bad for yeah, him. Yeah, he started off as... One of Illyrio's guys, a captain yeah. in Illyrio's yeah. fleets, I guess. Yeah. Go pick up Danny. The easy job. Okay. Yeah. I yep. am the captain of the ship that's taking Strong Belwas and Arston Whitebeard to go get mm-hmm. Danny. That's it. Yep. That is my job. Yep. yep. <laughs> Fast forward a year or whatever, however long it yeah. is. <laughs> Scope creep is what they call it in the software world. I'm still here. Haven't sailed back. It implies that he's got a family back home, yes. nor my old wife, so I don't know if he's like a grandpa at this point. That would be sweet if he was. Or seven. And he's just a captain of a ship, and now all of a sudden he's a he's an admiral in a fleet that doesn't exist, Yeah, being asked to build ships. I don't build ships, I sell them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like asking me to code. Yeah. Kalasar, for those that don't know, I don't know a lick of code. Uh, well, I know about a lick. You manage people code. that do know how to code. Yeah, but if you ask me to write a line of code, I'm going to fail. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. I mean, this dude could probably build a ship. It won't survive a battle. It won't. Yeah, it won't accomplish what Daenerys is wanting to it to accomplish, yeah. and he's yeah. saying that. Yeah, I, I almost feel like he's a scapegoat for her frustration. Absolutely, he's just you know he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. I think you've dealt with this before where you've got a superior maybe that is just frustrated with things and you're the closest guy to him at that point. And so I don't know what you're you talking about. You take the brunt about. of it. You don't? Hmm. <laughs> was I not hinting strongly <laughs> enough? Uh, no. Yeah. I cannot fight the Carthine with fishing boats, he says. And he's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel incredibly bad for Grolio. And... But you wonder, why does he stay? I have a feeling that, well, actually, I don't know. What's he going to do? Yeah, where else is he going to go? I'd like to think that Danny would treat him like she has professed to treat Missende, which is that if you want to go home, I will put you on a boat right now and send you home. She can't. That boat wouldn't even get out of the bay. Sure. I'm talking even before that, though. If Grolio really wanted to go and things were going well... You think she'd send him, or would she say, "Sorry, 
you're you've got a particular skill set that I really need. You're staying. I have a particular set of skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, may, maybe, uh, probably she promoted him so he wouldn't feel like he needed to leave. <laughs> Ass- uh, assistant manager instead of assistant yeah. to the regional manager. Yeah, um, yeah, right. Assistant regional manager, assistant to the yeah. regional manager. Uh, but yeah, maybe I, I don't know. The point being, I, I we never have a moment where Grolio's like, "I'm with you, Danny. I am behind you, and I believe in you." And so you have to wonder. You know, yeah, where his he's a guy level of collecting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's not a low level guy collecting a paycheck, but he's a guy collecting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. He he just wants to succeed and get home. Okay, that's enough of Grolio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let me ask you. Yeah, we spent way more time than any other podcast has ever spent on Grolio. That's G R O L E O. Yep, Grolio. For those that don't Grolio. Oh, okay. Let me ask you a question, Matt. Hmm. Can you imagine actually ruling in a place where murders are happening daily more or less because of you? Can you imagine that? Yeah, the guilt that must accompany that. I'm trying to put the listener in Danny's shoes, and, and... I, don't, I would never call myself a Danny apologist. I'm very neutral about Danny generally, but I feel like she's she's dealing with a lot of pressure here, mm-hmm. and I feel like at the very beginning it's set up that there the city is still at unrest. You know, they're they're they've got a place of peace, and so she has a little bit of a a little bit of a reprieve, a respite, yeah. but she knows kind of at any point it could resume. Mm-hmm. And so she's desperately trying to, like, claw and cling to that. And she, as she looks at the armies coming at her and all the threats that are posed to her, she's like, I can't lose this peace. I'll do anything to keep this. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the guilt on my conscience if they resume. Nor do I want the confusion and chaos that would come with it resuming. Yep, absolutely agree. Um Martin has said, and this is probably, you know, many other authors would say the same thing as well, that he wants readers to feel the way his characters feel. So when you read about Danny or whoever, you know, and they're frustrated, you feel frustrated. If, you know, they're happy, you're happy. And it hit me that I, these chapters of Danny's and of Jon Snow's too, in these in a dance with dragons have bugged me i haven't like enjoyed reading them and it finally hit me this read through that it's because germ has accomplished what he set out to accomplish i'm frustrated because danny is frustrated (laughs) you know what i mean i am feeling helpless because john is feeling a little helpless right now like yeah so, mission accomplished, brilliantly written chapters. I don't particularly like reading them, and I think that is indicative of how brilliantly written they are. That yeah. You feel that tension and that dissonance that, that they feel. And That's a good point. Yeah, I feel, I, maybe, that's the, maybe that's why I feel a little neutral about her. Because uh-huh. I, don't, I don't want to engage too deeply because it's, it's too... It's too it's hard. Difficult it's difficult to face, messy. man. Yeah. It's too messy. I don't, it's she's dealing with real problems and I don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I just want to read fantasy. You want Danny to fight 
to be on the good side and to fight the bad guys and to beat those bad yeah. guys in the end. You don't yeah. have to deal with, you know, rebellion within the city and dysentery ravaging the people yeah. and all this stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, we talked about Asha as a really good leader earlier. Like, put Asha in Danny's shoes. Like, could she do any better? I feel like Danny does a really good job. She's just faced with basically an impossible task. Like you said about Asha, Danny's got her heart in the right place. Yeah. And yeah. there's something to be said for that. Whether she's, yeah. you know, what grade on her leadership report card she'd get in the end. There's something to be said yeah. for wanting to do the right thing. And yeah. I guess the question is, you know, is doing the right thing still the right thing when no one else is doing the right thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Yep. In a world, yep. better said, in a world where the right thing is not looked highly upon or doing the right thing is looked highly upon, is it still uh, yeah, right and, to do it? You're, you're not judged for doing the right thing, but, but, but judged for the results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Well... Uh, the only other thing I really had uh, is is just kind of a we we've talked a lot about the windblown and and the yunkai and what they're bringing versus what Danny's bringing. Um, this is a little bit of a preview, maybe more than what we know right now. But I re-listened uh, a couple nights ago to the Radio Westeros Battle of Fire episode. Mm -hmm. Which feature? It's it's an awesome episode. It's, it's got Brendan B. Fish. It's got Aziz on it. It's got um, Stephen Atwell. Stephen Atwell on it, talking about uh, the the Unsullied. It's just an amazing episode. But they, they also cover it in a little bit of a different way, like doing like field reporting, like a journalist in the field of war. Yeah. It's amazing. They do a great job. But they kind of they do an analysis of the numbers and stuff. We might get into that later during Dad. I'm not sure, but. Uh, definitely go check it out. If you're interested at all in the conflict of Marine and like what's really happening, to, something to tie it all together and tell you what the score is and what's happening, there are, I will warn you, Winds of Winter spoilers in there if you don't want them. But it's an amazing episode. I've listened to it three times. It's really good. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. If you're like me, before you, I embarked on a reread of this depth of analysis that we're doing, some might not call it as deep as others, but uh, it's pretty deep, man. I didn't. I have it on authority. It's pretty deep. I, I agree. Um, I didn't. I didn't put too much thought power into this whole marine storyline, mostly because I just wanted Danny to get out of it. So I kept hoping that yeah. she'd be like leaving soon. So I was like, "Go get the Iron Throne, man!" I don't need to pay attention to this because she's going to be leaving before too long. Uh, so if any of you find yourself in that similar situation, yes, go check out Radio Westeros's episode. Uh, called the Battle, Battle of, Fire, of Fire, and yeah. uh, it lays it out very well and in a very entertaining way. So yes, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. It is all coming to a head, though. And again, we find a situation where the right decision doesn't seem to be apparent. It, yeah, it's tough. Just like Asha, and at what point? It's tough. Do you just burn it down? I mean, we should note her decision is at the end the the kind of crowning moment of this chapter. I, my summary was terrible, but uh, the crowning moment of this chapter is she realizes I have to have my whole city behind me. I need his dar. 
I need unity. Mm-hmm. Let's get let's get Marine together and heal together before we embark on this battle because we're going to need it. Yeah, that that's that's a realization at the end of the chapter. We need to fix the inside first. Yeah, get right, right. with ourselves. If there's, a, if there's a rotten core, we can't defend against anything. Yeah, yeah. I just I just thought of a really cool uh, song. You we ever talked Ooh. about the wallflowers? We've talked about the wallflowers <laughs> before, haven't we? Didn't didn't yeah? Go ahead. Yep. I love the wallflowers. They are one of those I, bands that they just it keep, seems like you would. They just keep spitting out great music. Do they? They do. They they have an album la- out in the last eight years. Um, one or maybe two, <laughs> maybe two. But uh, they had the big hit, you know, one headlight. You know, from that first bringing down the horse is the name of that album. But the next like yep. four albums after that were also amazing albums, fantastic okay. music, and uh, they went completely. But unnoticed. the guy said, "The guy said we're bigger than the Beatles." He did. At some point, Jacob Dylan that said guy, that. Something, something like that. Yeah, that doesn't. I'll Google it. That doesn't sound like something he'd say. He's one of well. those humility type. But maybe he did. I don't know. Anyways, maybe it was their guitarist. I don't know. <laughs> he, uh, or maybe it's an urban legend. Jacob Dylan, plus son of Pop Rocks, son of Bob, um, mm-hmm. and and very talented in his own right. Can definitely carry a tune a little bit better than yeah than Bob for sure. <laughs> I love Bob, but uh, you know, carrying a tune was not. You know. He wasn't about that. He was about telling no, the story. No, no, it's tell the story. Storytelling. Uh, but anyways, there's a song by the Wallflowers. I just barely thought of it. It's called Three Ways. And in the song, he, <laughs> have you ever heard oh, it? Sorry. Not Three Way. No. Three Ways. Oh, right. So sorry. multiple Three Ways. Three Way. A Three Way plural. It's like nine. Yeah, it's nine. Nine ways. Or, but he goes, he goes through the song and he's using different examples. But, um, for example, he says um, there's three ways out of every box you um <laughs> scott i need you just to stick sorry. with me for a minute buddy <laughs> sorry one minute you have one minute <laughs> three ways out of every box fall out the bottom or you crawl out the top and then he says there's three ways out of every box there's three ways out of But he only gave two, right? Three ways, yeah. fall out the bottom or you crawl at the top. Another one, um, three ways off a merry-go-round. You either jump or you let it slow down. There's three ways off a merry-go-round. He doesn't give the third one. Then finally, he reveals what the third option is. Um, so going back to the box, fall out the bottom or you crawl out the top. And if you can't find your way out, then you just burn it to the ground. And you'll disappear mm-hmm. like smoke into the clouds. he's saying is dark yeah you either figure a way out or you give up and you start that's some over. joker shit right yeah. there um that's some chaos joker stuff and what he's getting at in the end oh the last verse 
The last verse is key. There's three ways off a burning bridge. You pray for rain or you learn how to swim. Three ways off a burning bridge. And if you can't find the strength, then you quit. Then you can just burn up and sink. Then you'll drift away real slow down into the ground. Dark, right? Mm. But, uh, you know, he says when you're burning bridge, when you're faced with a decision where you have to make a decision, you can hope that things will get better. Pray for rain. Or you can learn how to swim, meaning you can try to do something about it. Uh-huh. Third option, you just give up. But in this scenario, if you give up when the burning bridge is occurring and you're on it, you die. Um, and I think the point he's trying to make throughout the song is that you don't learn anything from option number three. You don't come out the better by choosing option number three, burning things down. You might not come out at all. You might not come out of it at all. And so... You know, Danny's faced with that option, too. She could just pick up and leave Marine, just give up Mm -hmm. on it. But you don't come out any better for that. And I think that's what I admire about Danny is even faced with a burning bridge, she's still trying to do something about it. She recognizes that it's not going to do any good for these people and maybe for her as a character and as a human being to just give up on it. You got to do something. And uh, yeah. faced with a terrible decision, I applaud her for sticking with it. You know. Yeah. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the Wallflowers, but that was a a great dive into something that relates. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well done. Wallflowers have some great stuff, man. Anyways, you'll you'll have to send me a top ten list, and I'll check it out. I will. I will. I know you will. You'll do it tonight because now you're obsessed with it. I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> I know you do. If you I love ask it about me you. for playlists of bands I like, <laughs> I, I will send them to you in a heartbeat. <laughs> I know you will. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Okay. One Headlight. It'll be on there somewhere, I'm sure. Actually, that's not even a top 20 Wallflower song for me, I bet. Okay, send me a damn top 10 list then. Okay. I will. Because that's a pretty good song. It is a good song. I admit. Okay, maybe it's top 15. <laughs> Seriously, right. I can easily think of 10 songs oh, I like more than One Headlight by the Wallflowers. For goodness sake, let's move okay. on. <laughs> Do we uh, go to Davos After Dark? Uh, it's time to thank our Patreon supporters. Yes, it is. But are we done with Danny? I think so. Okay. Uh, every other episode, we like to just shout out to our Patreon supporters. We appreciate all of you, um, but we appreciate our Patreon supporters for the support they give us. And uh, it really means a lot, and we definitely recognize your sacrifice. So, Skad, you want to kick us off? Yeah, indeed. And I, I, we just want to start this episode off with, with somebody that came up with a new name this time that we want to start off with and recognize. Jossie, Warden of the Reach Around, Lord of Littering And, Littering And, Littering And, Smoking the Others. hey if you get that reference. Uh, also, Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Black Rune, Sworn Ailsmith to House Stark, Grand Mace, Master of the Zythomancer's Guild, and Keeper of the Buzz. Jacob M. Lady Fattis Red. Jeff H. Archmaster Rickard of Dan Underos, Keeper of the Somnolent Gas Mysteries. Archmaster June, either of the lesser poxes. I love that. Jeremy L. Uh, Jamie K. Daenerys. Rory Convery. Sarah from Texas. Tana! Sandra at the Citadel. Connor, Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass. And our newest patron, Colin Yu. Thank you, Colin. Uh, at the Reach Around level, Lady B Word. And at Team John, Misa, 
Queen of Gifts and Beauty. As always, thank you, everyone, for the support. Love y'all. Absolutely. Okay. Davos After Dark. Let us move into Davos After Dark. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. If you're listening for the first time, Scad mentioned it at the top of the episode, but now we are moving into a section of the podcast where we freely discuss spoilers and later happenings in the books. No holds barred. So if you are reading the books for the first time and you do not want to be spoiled, please stop listening now, okay? We'll catch you on the next episode. Can't wait. But now it is time for Davos After Dark. Davos after dark. Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's do it. Okay. Let us. We didn't talk about this very much in the main episode because we saved it for here. Why don't we talk about Asha's epiphany? Yeah, sure. So, um, Asha had the epiphany talking about the, uh, Torgon the Latecomer. Did we she talk did. about that very much in the summary? We really didn't talk about it too much, right? Nope. I I mentioned that uh, that he told the story of Tor the Latecomer, and that that Aaron and Asha had no claim to claim that, that to say that it was a bad election because they participated in it. Correct. Yes. So the story goes that clear back in Ironborn history, there was a king's moot, and one of the king's sons wasn't at the king's moot and did not get to participate in it he was down in the shield islands if i remember right i think you may be and uh, anyways he if long story short eventually made it back to the islands and uh, was able to stake a claim and that king's moot was ruled invalid and the king that had been chosen in that king's moot ended up being killed right And this Torgon, the late comer, because he came late to the king's moot, was crowned king and and ruled for quite some time. Right? Did I miss any important details? No, no, if, uh, no, not really. I mean, I mean, the important detail, I suppose, is 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 what you want to talk about. Uh, the person that that claimed the kingship while Torgon was was not aware was a good brother they ended up calling him bad brother mm-hmm. because he was he was, he was a shitty ruler frankly um and I, I don't know that that informs to my opinion of why that happened you know just just like in politics today um people kind of push ideas and push thoughts and and frankly policy based on how they feel about certain things if good brother had been a good brother and done a good job they might have been like, Torgon, get the hell out of here. Like, we his, had the king's moot. His it's claim done. is fine. Leave it alone. You should have heard. If you'd had better people informing you, you'd have known. Check your it email is what once it is. in a while. Yeah, we like what we've got. Leave it alone. But the we fact sent is, sent out an terrible. announcement about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a, there was a class of 2020 announcement. You should have known. Uh, the fact is, you know, he, th- he was terrible. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Yeah! This guy, his claim seems valid. Hey, that wasn't fair after all. That's my right. main point about this whole thing. I, I'm not. I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that Asha's plan. Uh, I assume we haven't even said it. I assume that Asha's yeah. plan is to find Theon and be right. like, "Hey, he had a legitimate claim, and he wasn't there. This whole king's moot sucked." Yeah, they made it. They make it clear that because Aaron and Asha were at the king's moot and participated in it. The rules no of Kingsmoot yeah. dictate that you can't say crap about it because you were there. 
But Theo, you the have person said when you with, were the, there. with the best claim, could have. Right. And since he wasn't there, he now could if if he's alive and presents himself. Mm-hmm. But my opinion but. is, people love what Euron's doing. Seems like maybe maybe, maybe that'll mm-hmm. change. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it seems mm-hmm. like people love it so far. He's winning, you know, and so they'll be like, eh, you know what, Theon of the, you know, seven fingers, take a seat. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I keep coming back to that moment in at dinner where the guys in Euron's, you know, Euron's supporters were kind of talking back to him a little bit. Yeah. And I, I feel like... It is a little bit more tenuous than we think. Now, that being said, I do agree with you that if Theon were to swoop in right now and say, Hey, here I am. Make me the king instead. He's it's, got no momentum to do that. It's all right? about timing. It, it if, is, if, if, if Euron keeps winning, I think I've said this on the podcast before, Euron, uh, winning cures everything. If Euron keeps winning the battles and keeps bringing them loot, mm-hmm. they're not gonna, they're going to just ignore Theon. The moment he stumbles and gets defeated by, hopefully, Garland and Willis in The Winds of Winter. Hopefully! Ah, Love I'm getting, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Uh, if he stumbles, then they'll be like, hey, maybe this wasn't the right choice. Yeah. But as long as he keeps winning, nobody's going to question anything. Right. That's the whole point with the good brother, bad brother thing to me. Mm-hmm. And they talk about that uh, one of the, the people that had kind of started... Um, uh, kind of campaigning to bring Urathon down, bad brother. Urathon. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, were priests. Yeah. Um, his it's own a parallel lord, for sure. His lords and his own yeah. captains. Yeah. And so, if they can, if Asha and Theon, if this were to work out, and maybe even Victarion gets drawn into this, I don't know. But they would have to play it awfully carefully, which is also mm-hmm. what you're hinting at, timing-wise and such. If so, if they can get the right people, you know, the priests can have an enormous influence on the small folk of the Iron Islands. Yeah. Um, you know, you get enough of them with you, you can do something. We already know that the, their own captains aren't afraid to question at least Euron at this point. They're not an outright rebellion, but they yeah, they're, are willing they're a vocal to question people. him. Yeah. yeah, they'll speak up if they don't agree with what's going on. So, yeah, there are a lot of parallels there that could be interesting. Moving we also forward. have, uh, in the world of Ice and Fire, I'll, I'm going to forget the name. I don't remember the name. But we have a history of the Ironborn kind of like rejecting kings and being like, no, 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 no. Not good enough. And they just replace them. It's, yeah. it's not uncommon for the Ironborn to do this. So it's, like cer- it's certainly possible. Another interesting thing that I was thinking of is right now Asha and Theon are with Stannis. Now, it would remain to be seen whether Stannis could convince the Ironborn to, you know, uh, accept him as a mm-hmm. king. Like we've, you know, like you just said, they're not real privy to that thing, especially since Stannis played a pretty pivotal role in fighting them during the Greyjoy Rebellion. Yeah. Um, and a very effective role. Yep. But Stannis is in need of a fleet. He doesn't have a fleet anymore. Yeah. If that can somehow work out. <laughs> Stannis, you know, with Theon and Asha can get themselves a... That could be, yeah. that could be pretty cool there. But yeah, Stannis is in need of looking whatever... Yeah. Stannis is in need of whatever he can get. Whatever he, someone can give him. <laughs> this isn't something you highlighted, but it is something that we had in the notes. Um, 
for those that don't know, we have like, I don't know, 40 ideas in any chapter, in any given set of chapters to talk about in Davos After Dark, and we talk yeah. about like five. eight of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> five five to eight of them. Um, one of the ones we didn't highlight to talk about is Asha's future that George has invested in her that, you know, like, what the hell is she going to do? She's trapped in like the middle of a northern continent and she wants to be smelling the salt on the sea of a, sh- you know, on the deck of a ship. Like, what the hell is going to happen? Yeah, to your point, Matt, like, he needs help. Like, what is his plan with her? Because maybe he waits and the timing works out and he can leverage her to do something. Yeah. I don't know. Be kind of cool. Or maybe, or maybe he adopts her into his army and she's like, you know what? I don't got any better shit to do. I'll, I'll lead your warships. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Yeah. Who knows? Um, okay. Cool. Okay. Move on. Yeah. Will the bloody flux, the pale mare, turn the tide of a war? Yeah, I feel like this is something that it's not a, it's not like a sexy thing to think about. Uh, <laughs> I, in fact, I don't, I don't want to plagiarize. I think, I, I think that uh, Yoke Boy said on the Battle of Fire cast something, something almost exactly like, I feel like the fandom doesn't really appreciate or respect the role of the bloody flux. It wasn't mm-hmm. those exact words, but it was something along those lines. I remember. Like, uh, yeah, like, like this could really completely turn the tide of the battle. And, you know, we have some hints in Winds of Winter uh, about how that battle's going and, um, you know, where it's headed. Barristan and, and Marine face heavy odds differences, but they also seem just kind of much more organized. And also this the Giscari legions, which are the best fighting force that the Yunkai have have just apparently just been, uh, I don't want to say decimated, because that means technically cut into tenths, but they've been hit hard by this thing. <laughs> uh, they've been hit hard by it, and I, I really feel like it could be a changing factor in this whole battle. Absolutely. And yeah. and it is part of the strategy. They're hurling bodies with the bloody flux over into the walls the city. to infect people. Yeah. And, and I... I don't know. I, I mean, how this how this comes down really could affect it. They they talk at one point about the fact that they're losing a hundred a night in in Yung, in the Yunkai troops. That's mm-hmm. a lot, you know. Yeah, they've got they've got roughly, if I did the math right, listening to that episode, like a forty thousand soldier advantage or so. Hundred a night, man, that adds up. Yep. Yeah, it just becomes almost a waiting game if if Danny yeah. can keep the flux contained in portions yeah. of the city, yeah. which is scary to think about. You essentially have these ghettos of people who are, have this disease, leper yes. colonies within Marine yes. almost. Yep. But that unfortunately is the hard truth of getting out of, from under the pale mare, right? Yeah. There's no cure for it. You just have to contain Hope it don't until die. it's go away. Yeah. Yep. Until it goes away. But if she can outweigh them, that's a reasonable way path to victory. Yeah. Reminder to wait that long, food wise and such. I don't know. But... Reminder, just briefly, that she's not waiting for anything. She's no. out with Drogon and some sort of she Kalsar She's found uh, not waiting for anything at all. Uh, yeah. She's she's found her freedom in now some it's way. Barristan. Yeah. Yep. Who's forced to deal with the rest of it? Uh, yeah. Way to go, way to go, Barry. Love the guy. Yep. Um, okay. 
good enough. I'll tell you, Scott, mm. what I'm really interested in mm. is talking Euron. Ugh. You're not okay. as interested? I don't know, man. I, I'm getting more interested. I feel like I feel like such a lame analyzer of this series because I, I the first couple of rereads that I did, I I just feel like I feel like he's a I feel like he's a red herring in some way, like he's not the yeah. real villain, like I don't really need to take him seriously. And I think I've said this a similar idea on the podcast before. I feel like the Ironborn in general, just having read their history in a world of ice and fire and just kind of seeing what resources they have, I feel like they're just not a real threat. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, as a purveyor of technology and someone that works in that field, I understand that technology can change a game. And if you have a horn that controls dragons, that can change things. So I have to admit that if he really has this thing and if it really works, he can change the whole game for the Ironborn. Change of culture sometimes happens slowly over time. Sometimes it happens in one great moment where something changes. And, you know, maybe maybe this is their great moment. So I shouldn't dismiss it as much as I do. But yeah, in my previous rereads, my read of Euron was like, alright, he's a fucking pirate. Somebody kill him. You know? <laughs> yeah, he won't be around that long anyways. No, I I understand. I understand. Um, I'm but I'm interested I'm interested in, in learning why you're interested and what that's, you want, and that's what you want to talk about. That's why it's suddenly become intriguing to me because I kind of felt the same way as you. I, I didn't give him a lot of my attention. I thought he was fascinating, but whatever. You know, um, he's not Jamie Lannister. He's not Braun. <laughs> so <Who> is. <laughs> but uh, now I'm, as I've dug a little deeper and seen what some of the fandom has to say about him, I'm all of a sudden a little intrigued. Uh, first of all, speaking of fandom, we as we've done the past couple episodes, we did a poll on uh, Twitter and asking the fandom what they thought of certain elements of, of the block of chapters. What we asked this time was, what did Euron really do with his dragon egg? And the uh, choices were, he paid the faceless men to kill Balon with it. Um, he threw it into the sea. He was honest in what he actually did. Uh, he still has it and is holding on to it. Or D, he never really had one in the first place. And he's just telling stories to Victarion. Uh, 48% of those who voted said he did pay off the faceless. He did use it to pay a faceless man. Um, 26% said he never really had one in the first place. That's interesting. Only 8% feel like he was telling the truth that he threw it into the sea. Uh, and did you, you say 8, 8%? Yes. Well, that's low. Yeah. People do not believe that guy. <laughs> it's um, not sexy. No, it's not sexy, and it just speaks to, uh, well, maybe you believe in his moods or whatever, but, like, if you believe in him as a major villain, then don't you have to kind of be like, he wouldn't have done something like that. He's not going to throw a dragon he's, egg. He's smart enough to not do that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, I don't know, the, the faceless men theory, I mean, it's it's entirely 100% correct me if I'm wrong, based on the Ghost of High Heart prophecy. Is that right? That's the evidence. Yep. That's it. I mean, so it's basically 48% or whatever number you just gave. Uh, they they believe that prophecy is, is law. 
So I guess I, I don't know. In this case, I, at least. Yeah, in this case, at least. I. But you know what? I, without evidence to the contrary, I don't. I don't know what what we could say to to disagree. Uh, you really don't. There's interesting motive for the faceless men wanting a dragon egg, right? We sure. know that they are trying to infiltrate the citadel. At least that's what we're assuming with the whole Pate uh, storyline. And so mm-hmm. obviously them wanting to, uh, well, going back to like Summerhall and stuff, we find that hatching a dragon, if not done correctly, can have disastrous consequences, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they're trying to learn the secrets of of that kind of thing, then having a dragon egg would be a crucial component. Um, let's let's but, talk just a minute, though, like just about like, narrative and structure and storytelling this is where because, it gets tricky because if you believe Euron really is the dude the big bad the guy that's going to affect the story i, I don't know george writes great characters and they have flaws or, you know all that stuff but like do you really want to believe that your big bad villain has such little value for a dragon egg something that he's seeking very really mm-hmm. dragons that he has such little value for a dragon egg that he would just give it away in order to murder a brother when, let's be honest, he could probably pull that off himself. That's it fe- it fe- something it feels off. wrong about it, is all I'm getting at. I don't, there's no evidence, but it just feels messy to me. We were talking with a friend on Twitter and about this very thing, and what I suggested, and maybe it's a rather weak suggestion, is that he had to do a little bit of addition by subtraction, him thinking that I need to be a legitimate king in order for Danny to pay me of any mind and marry me. Okay, so to do that, I need to get Balon killed. Um, I need to make it look as I need to have my hands out of it as much as possible. I'm going to have a faceless man do it. They'll take a dragon egg. I'll give them a dragon egg in the hopes that once I become king, I can marry Danny. And even though I've lost one dragon egg, I've gained three dragons. Yeah, it's like a trade. Yeah, it's like a fantasy football trade. But Uh, your point is well taken of could he have hired anybody and not had to give up a dragon egg to do that? And maybe he's just being super careful. I mean, it's indicated the face of Sinar, but is, is a dragon egg the only thing that they would accept as payment? He has, it's talked about at Kingsmoot, he has... He's got tons, tons of, of gems yeah. and riches. Like, they won't take anything other than a dragon's egg? Unless Why the do faceless you suggest man... that you have a dragon's egg? Unless just the... tell them you'll yeah. pay them in gems. The faceless it's, man it knew seems... he had a dragon egg, perhaps. Well, then they could say, we'll only do it for your egg. Yeah, I mean, it's a legend spread or something, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't it know. Just, it, maybe a lot of maybe. Maybe it's just sloppy writing, or like... George didn't imagine we'd ever ask these questions. How I don't know. Dare I, you? Well, I, you know, I don't <laughs> know how. I do. We've never made that. Uh, we've never said that on the cast before. Um, I love his stuff. I don't mean to question the vision. I love it. I just, it mm-hmm. seems, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's it seems like somebody that values dragons so much would have been like, hey, take ten times the value in diamonds instead of this dragon's egg. Right. My holds are full of it. Yeah. So. I, but, you know, maybe not. So so that leads me to believe, no, he didn't give it to them. Did he throw it in the sea? Seems even more careless than paying the faceless men with it. 
did he never have it? Eh, maybe people tell lies to spread their legend all the time. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. The only mention of the dragon egg is this is here, this one, right? Yeah, it's, it's the this. only one. Yeah, it's mentioned yeah. in passing to Victarion, who Euron loves to torment. Yeah, in tease, every in way the, yeah, possible. Yeah, 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 it's true. You'd mislead. Yep, it's true. You know, may, maybe yeah. Yep. Yeah, maybe we have maybe to keep he's just using it as some sort of little bit of evidence that. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to dragons, and so, yes, believe me that there are dragons in the world. Who mm-hmm. knows? Who yeah. knows? Okay. When I was a boy, I dreamt that I could fly. <laughs> oh, jeez. Euron yeah. says. Yeah, he does. A prevailing theory out there is that Euron has had similar experiences to Brandon Stark. Meaning, specifically, that Euron, and this is theorized, Euron could have been visited by the Three-Eyed Crow and is a green seer or a skin changer. Or, well, to be a skin changer, you have to, no. No, to be a green seer, you have to be a skin changer. Yeah, that's what he says. Um, Who says that? Somebody said that? Well, he said it's uh, when Bloodraven's like, you know, one in a thousand, one in ten, one in a thousand are green seers or whatever, or are skin changers, mm-hmm. right? And only one skin changer in ten thousand are green seers. But I don't, I don't think this implies he has to be a green seer, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, but the theory is out there that yeah. he has been visited. Possibly, what has been theorized is that. Blood Raven initially visited Euron with yeah. the intention of doing to him as he did to Bran. Right. Um, and then realizing how crazy off the wall Euron is, he went, no, I'm not going to do this and cutting yeah. his losses. Uh, there's some similar, there's some striking uh, arguments that are made. Uh, we've mentioned him on this podcast before. We're going to have to pay him royalties. But poor Quentin is a huge proponent of this theory. Yeah. And he points out a lot of, of interesting things. Um, you know, continuing that quote that Euron says, when I was a boy, I dreamt that I could fly. And when I awoke, I couldn't. Or so the maester said, but what if he lied? Uh-huh. Similar uh, to Bran's dream and waking up and telling Maester Lewin about it. And Maester Lewin saying, no, you can't fly. Um you know, there's obviously the very suggestive nickname that Euron has of Crow's Eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Euron's Banner, which is a red eye with a black pupil. Uh, you know, Blood Raven and his red eyes. So there's a lot of interesting things. Have you looked into this theory very much? Not a lot. Not not a lot. Um I mean, I knew I knew there were theories that 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 uh, Blood Raven had reached out to him as a youth. It seemed like he either gave up on him. It seems uh, again, I haven't gone really deep, but it seems like either he gave up on him and went with Bran instead, or he's actually still using him and using Bran as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I to say he couldn't control both of them. Uh, but but the the theories around him still being involved with Euron really, to me, get muddy. Okay, so he's controlling Euron and telling him to go get dragons so that he can have dragons and others maybe 
or does he setting up Euron against Bran? I, it seems very convoluted, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't spent yeah. a ton of time analyzing it. I would, I think, I would side more with the stance that poor Quentin has taken that Euron is a potential Green Seer gone rogue. That he's yeah. not under the influence yeah. of Blood Raven, but he he's, still he's has a, he, those powers, yeah. and he's learned something about them. He's Count Dooku. Sure, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, but uh, I'm going to give full credit to poor Quentin on this. This is not an original thought by me, but he brings up the dream that Danny has later on in A Dance with Dragons, uh, where she has a dream that Hisdar was kissing her, but his lips were blue and bruised, and when he thrust himself inside her, his manhood was cold as ice. Mm. Um, Quentin postulating that that was Euron invading Danny's dreams, um, uh, you know, with the blue lips and everything, Mm -hmm. blue and bruised, manhood as cold as ice, indicating that he would know something about the others beyond the wall um, and stuff like that. Now, another crazy part of this theory is Euron being a skin changer. Mm-hmm. And poor Quentin postulates, and others have too, that Euron is skin changing into the dusky woman. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> like like for no other reason other than to fuck with Victorian more? Well, it's part of it. We know that he he is not above exploiting that most intimate part of people. Yeah. Unfortunately with Aaron and stuff. And it seems to fit his exploitation of Victarion here that he would even go that far. But uh, I don't know if it's just to keep tabs on him or learn what he's doing. If so, he got him hook, line and sinker because Victarion spills everything to this dusky woman. Yeah. Um, and uh, he talks about how later on in this chapter, or later on in the books, when Victarion pulls uh, Makoro, that red priest. Yep, out of the water, yep. Yeah, the dusky woman hisses when she sees him, whereas otherwise she stayed completely silent, hmm. right? Interesting. Um, ah, I'm, being, I'm being hurt real bad by my, you know, the fact that I haven't read... A Dance with Dragons other than twice and several years ago. It's, it's really hurting me now. Yeah, it's there's some crazy stuff, but it's kind of compelling. And poor yeah. Quentin's theory is that uh, it's going to be Euron that brings down the wall by blowing the correct horn. And God, I just can't. Causing all this. But... PQ, man, I love you, but I just can't see it, man. It just doesn't feel... I don't know. It feel, he, he feels... I know he's built up to be a badass, but he feels like too small a man to do this to me. Well, again, he wouldn't be the bad guy in the end. He no, would be the vehicle for the bad guy to t- accelerating to yeah, yeah. the true conflict. And you're even using the term "bad guy" a little bit vaguely because, of course, we're not even sure. Yeah, we're not even sure the others are bad guys at this point, really. Right? Yeah, of course, of course. Given what we know about Rolor and Mel and the shit she does. And... Yeah. Yeah. Very muddy. Anyways, I thought that was very interesting and at least wanted to get it on our listeners' radar that some of those theories out there exist about old Yuri boy. Here's what I want to happen. Do you want my you want my uh the scad version of like my head cannon? I always do. 
I've said this from the beginning. I don't believe the Ironborn, as have been painted in history, I don't believe them as successors to anything. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they're going to greatly impact everything. I feel like they're meant to be in their place in history, which is reavers and outsiders that have their little pocket that they live in. And I want Euron to be some sort of example for Danny of what not to do because he's fucking evil. And I want her to just incinerate him as it, like, like almost like he'll show up to her and make this bold claim and she'll be like, that's hilarious. Drogon eat him See and it ya. will, and it will end that quickly. That's, mm-hmm. that's actually what I want to happen to Euron as, as a sort of growth step for Danny, for that whole investment in that whole Western plot of the Ironborn to end in, you don't, everyone doesn't understand. The ideas of men don't compound here. Mm-hmm. Danny has dragons and she's just going to eat him and that's it. I'd and, be okay uh, with that for Euron. I'd love it. However, the dragon horn, the fact that he has it, throws a whole wrench in my in my idea. If it's real, then it's clearly desires. George has yeah, George has other ideas in mind, right? I mean, than than my desires clearly, but we'll see. That's what I'd love. I'd love for him to just be an example of the desires of men gone wrong when they meet better men, and by mm-hmm. men in this case, I of course mean women in Danny. Sure. Absolutely. I like that. I, my head cannons get given the ironborn a little bit, throwing them a little bit more of a bone. I would, I don't think that they have it in them to be the people, right? Uh To all of a sudden end up being the heroes of the story or something. But I would love to see the ironborn headed up on something by a redeemed Theon and, Mm. Asha, the greatest leader in Westeros history. <laughs> but here's the thing. Let's let's As, ask this question. Well, no, but just to Go see ahead. them yeah, um, throw their throw themselves behind a worthy party, whether that be Jon Snow or whoever, and help make the difference and become be a, cool. you know a part of the solution somehow. I'd we'll, love that that happened you know who knows but anyway i'd love that but i don't think that's what euron's bringing a Mm -hmm. and and b oh yeah get euron out of there screw him yeah burn him up (laughs) and b are asha and theon at this point even ironborn totally i totally agree her line of thinking even at this point is already and theon's too He's he's a broken man that's rebuilding himself from scratch yeah yeah, I agree. And then I will just say this in terms of stepping away from the narrative and just looking at pure structure of the books. We have four, count them, <laughs> four Ironborn POVs now. Yeah, we do. We have Theon, Asha, Aaron, and Victarion. <laughs> if, again, you count Asha and Theon as Ironborn, which I'm not sure, sure that I do anymore. They're they're yep. Greyjoys, so I'll yep, give them are. that. Yep. Four Greyjoy POVs. Yeah. You also have uh switching the topic a little bit, you also have I don't know how many. One, two, three, four at least four POVs 
at the Battle of Fire. And mm-hmm. I expect one or two of them will die. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of that. There are so many alliances and enemies and things that can come out of that. I, I'll be so interested to see how that plays out. Right. <sighs> we done? I I think we're I th- done, dude. I think this is a record. I feel like we're done. <laughs> I feel I feel like this is the longest episode we've ever had, and I feel like it's been a really good one. It's gone by fast. Uh, we chatted a lot at the beginning of the episode, so I'll be interested to see once we cut yeah. out all the opening chatter how yeah. long the runtime is. But I think we're coming up on three hours easy. Yeah, you mean but... you don't want to subject our listeners to the discussion about Ray at Target? Uh, who knows what I'll throw onto the <laughs> tack onto the end of the episode. Well, I know I don't, but I love it that way. It's a nice little surprise for me when I see it. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us. We, we sincerely hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, but let us sign off now. So, um, I, I mentioned that my sign off would be a, uh, a response to that line that we loved so much from the uh, Asha About chapter. The singers, yeah. Um, that uh, oh, I want to get it right. What was it? That no uh, good. The singers, the singers, the singers won't, won't sing. Of... The singers won't sing a song about this battle. I don't think I got it exactly right. But uh, another quote from Garland Tyrell made back in, I think it was a Clash of Kings, maybe a Storm of Swords. This is Matt signing off, saying that quote from Garland Tyrell, which is, a valiant deed unsung is no less valiant. True. And my quote is uh, from this set of chapters, from the Tyrian chapter. I think life is a jape. Yours, mine, everyone's. Good night, everybody. Good night, you japers. (laughs) See ya. Did you, did you see all the people freaking out? Sorry, I'm chatting. Do you want to chat or do you want to get in? No, we got all night. <laughs> got all night. Uh, did you see all the people freaking out about Luke and the dark Also, that's clothing? what she said. But, um, we got all night? Yeah. Or do you I, want to get right in? Oh, <laughs> both. Yeah. Yes, and don't worry, babe, I won't take that long. There are the answers to those two questions in order. Yeah, we'll be done quickly. <laughs> Did you see all the people freaking out about Luke in dark clothing? So I saw the picture, but I didn't see, I didn't read anything about it. But no, I just people, the picture. Just people like, oh, he's dark as yeah. dark Jedi. And you it's could, like, did, did you watch Jedi? Because <laughs> he's in black the whole time. Yeah, that's Jedi. true. <laughs> Good point. I felt like you could see like a red tint in the bottom corner too, almost like you had like a red lightsaber. Oh, I didn't notice that. I, I didn't look quickly. at it very closely. But there is a god up there judging you, though. Uh, yep. <laughs> All right. My, my views are maybe a little bit different than what others would think, but... Uh, what do you mean? If it's that god isn't judging us based on some sort of, you know, criteria or checklist of things that we did or didn't do, but more 
or, or judging us like compared to Jesus, the perfect man, you know, or something. No, like that. it's it's he's, not like a ranking system, but works are works are a part of your calling, though. Right, right, sure, and it's but it's 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 judging us more on what we have the potential to become. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've heard that before. He's like, judging Matt based on what Matt could be. Yeah. Whether than that's, Matt compared to how you know Scott is or whatever. Sure. And this is terrible, but personal confession for scad time. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, sometimes I think that way too. I'm like, look, if God really is up there, and I don't believe he is personally, but if he is, mm. he understands how he made me to right. be skeptical exactly. and yeah. to be difficult to reach. And mm. not that it makes excuses for the choices I make, but he understands why I'm this way. Yep. And when it's time for him to judge me, if he is up there, and I don't believe he is, then he'll take that into consideration. And we'll be able to have a conversation like reasonable adults. Like, look, dude, you didn't show yourself to me in a way that convinced me, and this is why. And I'm sure as you know, a, a good religious person, you're like, you're not listening hard enough. But, you know, like, it's a tough challenge we all have individually. And yep. Yep, we're not all robots and created, yeah. you know, exactly, exactly the same. We've all got these different and if you believe, quirks, and that's taken into consideration. Yeah, if you believe that he created all of us, then he understands all of that, right? Exactly. So you are spewing forth sound Mormon doctrine, Scad. <laughs> it's part. It's all part of that strategy we talked about last podcast, where I'm trying to integrate myself in yes. and become the yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's get started. You ready? I am ready. Hey, Kalisar, if you've made it this far, congratulations. Wow, look at you pin the blue ribbon upon your chest. Uh, three songs, I guess, that we got a shout-out to here at the end of the episode. The first, of course, was by the Wallflowers, who we went into a long dissertation about it. A song called Three Ways. It's off of their... Uh, Third, fourth album called Red Letter Days, one of those fantastic albums that I talked about. Beautiful, dark, deep song. Uh, Jacob Dylan always makes you think about the lyrics he's singing, much like his daddy. We also had Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix off of his album Are You Experienced? If you have not heard and do not own the album by the Jimi Hendrix Experience called Are You Experienced? You are missing out on some of the best rock music you will ever hear. Get the album. And then finally, I had to do this for SCAD. Some people would say that having two Wallflower songs in an episode is too, too many, but I just had to do it for the man. He has no idea that I'm putting this in here. But uh, as you heard, we threw in the Wallflower's classic hit, One Headlight, off of their album, Bringing Down the Horse. Thank you, Kalisar. We love you guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Good night. Mm -hmm.